What's going on, everybody? I'm AJ, your host of the Blue to Green Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in, listen, however it is that you consume your podcasts. I appreciate it. On this episode, I sit down with a gentleman by the name of Kevin, who is a police officer in a large city police department in the Phoenix metropolitan area. Unfortunately, in the podcast, we can't speak directly about what agency he works for because he's doing this as a private citizen, and he also runs his own podcast called The Modern Cop Podcast. And unfortunately, many police agencies will not allow police officers to speak about their agency without going through the proper channels and all that stuff. And I understand all that, but it is frustrating to contact these departments and not be able to get a an actual representative in an official capacity, other than what agency, you know, you know, I've praised them enough, but thank you, Pinal County Sheriff's Office. But on that note, though, Kevin is an excellent representation of modern policing, which is why his podcast is called the Modern Cop Podcast. He is the exact type of police officer that I'm trying to highlight and show to the cannabis community and bridge the gap and you know, have these good officers who are in it for the right reasons, want to protect people's rights, follow the Constitution, and have good policing and good encounters with the public. Unfortunately, we need to accept the fact that there are bad people in the world, and we need them out there to protect us from the bad people. So please give Kevin's uh, podcast a listen as well. His his um, demographics is definitely those who are either active police officers or who want to get into policing, but he has a ton of relevant information. He's well-spoken, articulate. He's, he's a really good dude out there, and he, he's the type of person that we want to be a police officer. So again, I thank you very much for listening, taking the time to tune in and all that good stuff. If you're getting anything out of this and you like what you're seeing and like what you're hearing, uh, please do me a favor, like, subscribe, do all that cool stuff on YouTube, and it really does. And as I go through this journey, I understand that it actually does really help the channel. And I know you hear all these content creators that are, you know, cheesy and hyping it up and all that good stuff, but it really does help us out or help me out. So again, I want to continue the conversation, continue the education. And of course, we talk about cannabis on the podcast and all that stuff and all the, you know, the typical talking points. So thank you very much for tuning in. I'll put all the contact information in below, including the department that he works for. I can name, but he can't. So anyways, thank you very much for tuning in. Take care. They start yep. talking over Yeah, here. they start getting away from it, and you're like, hey, hey yeah, yeah, yeah. eat the microphone, yeah, eat the microphone. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm recording. I like to just dive right into it and just be free flow. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, have like, I'll do the intro earlier, but yeah, no. So here we are. Here we are. Kevin, very nice to meet you. Yeah, likewise, AJ. Thanks for having me on, man. You're welcome. So yeah, let's, you are the Modern Cop Podcast. I am. And I am. What is the Modern Cop uh, so it's, in your eyes. So in my well, so first and foremost, it's the second name, right? I was calling myself Blue Line Millennial. Okay. Okay. Um, but there was after some reflection and after the the show had been going on for a little while, um, there was some uh some self awareness that came to uh the blue line millennial just seemed sort of uh immature ish. Um, and I'm sitting there racking my brain for weeks with friends, just like, Oh wait, what do I call my what do I call my podcast? And I happened to uh uh, be making a post on Instagram about like what the modern cop should be. Okay. And that's when I went, 
holy shit right there i got it that's what we're going to call it so the the goal of the modern cop podcast at its inception in right right in the spring of 2020 when everything was going crazy was to it was just me and a microphone um just talking about what was going on in the world as far as policing was concerned and and to help maybe break down hey as a police officer this is why we do what we do or this is maybe what was going through someone's head gotcha or let's try and um understand the actions that were taken in you know insert news grabbing headline here right so uh my buddy brent uh was my best friend on patrol we worked uh patrol for like two and a half years together I'm talking to him one day and he's like, dude, you got to start interviewing people because you got this weird phone sex voice and it's just, (laughs) you do have a very, you have a very good voice (laughs) and it's just, it's just doing weird things. And I'm like, okay, all right, man, sounds good. And, uh, so I brought on a guy that I work with. Okay. Um, he's, uh, he no longer works with my agency, but, uh, that was the, the start of interviewing guests and the goal remained the same is to just talk with other police officers. Uh, but then it grew into people who were, somehow related to policing um and i've stretched that even more um i had a an author named toby harnden on he uh um wrote a couple of books one of them uh it's called first casualty it's about uh the opening stages of the war in afghanistan okay um and uh the cia officer uh mike span that was killed up in masri sharif okay and i found him because he had been arrested in zimbabwe or something okay. along those lines and i'm like yeah close enough he said it says he was arrested so he's experienced law enforcement come on the show um and so it's it's just turned into i have a blast with it, man i look forward to coming out and talking with people and having people on the show um and it gives me a chance to expand my knowledge because i bring in people throughout their careers in law enforcement or even retired uh from all over the place i mean i've talked to retired uh military police officers have talked to guys who are retired or still working back east um folks out here west or or out on the west coast even um and it's my way of contributing something greater greater understanding not only for people who aren't police officers but for people who are maybe looking at getting into the job so that's that's really where the uh um where the show stemmed from and, and where it's, where it's headed to. I've got some ideas on what I want to do moving forward. Um, I know we sat and talked about mm-hmm. your setup here with the cameras and putting the show on YouTube. And then I've got an idea for like a weekly or, or maybe scheduling wise, probably a monthly um, show where I go out and do ride alongs with various agencies. Nice. So, and that way it's good for um, not only get generating viewers for the show mm-hmm. and, and, and listeners, um, but any footage that I grab that could potentially be used in recruiting as I move myself into a position for recruiting at my agency. Um, I am extremely aware of this recruiting pool that we used to have is, is now a recruiting puddle. It's, right? it's now a dry lake bed. <laughs> it's a dry lake bed. Yeah. Um, and pushing out positive content, but still, still the, it's still real, right? I'm not going to be in there trying to only find, the the you know the yellow brick road as right right right. you've got to show everything i think one thing that i've seen is that people just appreciate and and you saw this you know we work the road right Mm, so absolutely you work with people long enough um and people really don't want to be bullshitted right they don't want to and not at all that yeah right they don't want you to beat around the bush or sugarcoat things so let's let's be as real as as possible so that's moving forward that's the goal with the show so there's a couple things that we we i should have started we should have started off with is that unfortunately 
we can't even discuss your agency right just simply because of agency rules now do would you say that your demographic is is those who are trying to get into law enforcement so much and the actual officers like is that your main focus of your demographics yeah, yeah the the people that i've communicated with and eventually i'll put something out on the website uh, and there's nothing stopping me from doing it right now i just you know it's one of those things sort of those light bulb moments where my understanding from my interaction with people that listen to the show over social media is that yeah they're police officers um or they're wanting to get into gotcha policing gotcha um but i mean uh, i'll tell you right my wife and i will tell you that we don't vote the same gotcha um, but e even some of her friends of when i first started the show had, had told her hey kevin's got something good going on um I, I'm actually learning something. And it's people who they were posting on social media, you know, ACAB and defund the police. And then I'd get messages off to the side. Hey, man, really support what you do. Yeah. And you sit there and you're like, oh, but do you? Like, I don't, I don't know. But hey, you're listening to the show. Yes. You, you might be learning something. Well, and that's that's where I was going with this is that my demographics is very heavily the cannabis population sure. in the cannabis world. And then, but I've also like my, my, my law enforcement following has definitely expanded and that's where i really have enjoyed doing this podcast and had i've been open and honest i pretty much say it on every single podcast about what happened to me in my law enforcement career and if i would not have if not if what had happened to me had not had happened i'd still be a law enforcement officer but when my life veered off and i got into the cannabis world that's where i started making other connections and seeing like and fell in love with the cannabis world right and then that's when we, I, ta I told you before that I was specifically requested years ago to come up with some training material for the medicinal cannabis world about how to interact with law enforcement, which kind of spawned all this. Mm -hmm. But I like to be able to sit down and show the community, the, uh, the cannabis community, that like there are good cops out there doing the work for the right reasons and the rhetoric and the bullshit and all of that crap that's out there. Oh, you know, you got beat up in high school and you just want power and authority and this or that. Like those were not my experiences when I was, I got out the year you got in. Okay. So okay. I got out in 2017. I was politely asked to leave. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't shy away from it. What happened happened and led me to where I am. But that's what I love so much about this, where I can find good people who I, I, I fault police agencies to an extent, like they do their, um, and again, this is agency specific, not, not you on the private world, but the agencies are fantastic about getting people who like cops to show up to events there where cops are. Whereas I'm actually trying to reach the other side. Right. I'm actually trying to reach the ones that don't like cops. And in the very beginning of this, I could not believe the outpouring of positivity, the outpouring of, hey, what about this? What about that? They're the ones that the stoner community is the one that actually got me to get Frank Slope to come on. Deputy Slope oh, of yeah. County. Okay. Everybody knows him. Yeah, Fred is with Frank. Yeah. So th that's what I've loved to be able to show is the fact that there are good cops out there that are trying to pr produce content. Yeah, your stuff's going to be very heavy on the law enforcement side, yeah. obviously. Yeah. You know, that's where I, where I try to slide in and be like, and let's talk about weed now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if I could still be a cop and just slide in some weed there, that would be good to go. So, but that's what I've enjoyed about making these connections with cops and cannabis and all that type of stuff and showing the connection like just regular people right you know and and when you focus on a demographic that is not the ones that don't like you you kind of gotta change things a little bit to get their attention yeah yeah absolutely so i could not even imagine being a cop in this day and age with what's going on i, I just what what is happening out on the streets now and i'm talking on the street level as far as interactions with the public first of all we should say again can't talk about the agency specific right we can say phoenix metropolitan area yep and you work for a large agency yeah that is 
that I, when I used to work with them, a fantastic agency. Well, so. and we, we, uh, we certainly still appreciate trying to be that fantastic agency. Uh, and it's been, I mean, straight, straight up, it's been a few years since I've been on the road. I've done a shift gotcha. here and there, um, but I'm a sex crimes detective. So my interaction um, out on the road or, or with the public is vastly different from when I was a patrol officer. Um, but even then, I, I think it goes into, as you said earlier, agency specific. Um, as I go through and work in recruiting now, I'm not bullshitting people when I tell them that, we're lucky where where we work, where I work, and that we have a supportive community. I mean, I, I don't know that I could put an accurate percentage on it, but I would feel confident saying north of 80%, if not 90% of our community, uh, truly do appreciate the work of the police department. And you're, you're, the city you work for has a very diverse population, a very yep. large non-English speaking Hispanic population. And again, I'm very familiar because I used to work that area right and i'm very familiar with it so i'm it's a diverse population so you get a little bit of everything there yeah um and that's what's nice and even even beyond the hispanic population we've got a large chinese population and a large vietnamese population didn't know that and there's um uh, uh a large um like hindi population as well okay. and and it is interesting even in working sex crimes, we do sex crimes does not care about the race uh, right. or the color of your skin or your your orientation, right? It, the rapists are rapists, right? They're just assholes. Rapists are rapists. <laughs> there right. you go. Right. They're uh, just assholes. I love that. One of our homicide detectives used to be a sex crimes detective, and he had this chart, and I now incorporate it into my powerpoints that I give in uh, like community presentations, and it's this pie chart of the causes of rape, and it goes down the line from like intoxication uh the clothing that you're wearing and then the last one is just a red circle and it says uh rapists are the cause of rape yeah and the whole graph is red yeah because that's that's really the only reason but it's interesting as far as the cultural nuances working okay. with people um from the you know the diverse cultures that mm -hmm. we work with um because every culture has this different sort of uh stigma or this different outlook on sexual assault or on sexual offenses uh like i was talking with one of our newer detectives yesterday um, who is working an investigation right now, active ongoing investigation, can't get into it. But I'm like, hey, man, this guy is no longer within the United States. You're talking about extradition. I don't know how much luck our federal partners are going to have because the country that he's gone to, they might have a whole different set of rules when right. it comes to sexual assault. Um, and it, that translates when people come to the United States, they don't report it or they right. commit a crime. Not, I'm sure that morally and ethically there's an argument to be made that they understand it's wrong um but if it's not something that they were ever held accountable for in their home country then we sit there and with this whole they get this like confusion and this look of shock of oh well you know back, back where i'm from right it's like no dude cut the shit you're here now like that's in that sense i i don't want to sound insensitive but in saying that um but we've got our laws and our rules in place for a reason, especially when it comes to sexual assault, yep. Arizona, uh, say a lot of people might shit talk our state as far as things like education standards <laughs> and whatnot and corruption and, and corruption. Um, but when it comes to, uh, sex crimes investigations, I mean, I, I tell victims all the time, Hey, if we can't come to fruition, like get the, the result that you want now, or if you're not willing to come forward right now, that's fine. What you've disclosed uh, can be investigated up to the defendant's natural life. Nice. There's, there's no statute of limitations on a number of different sexual offenses. What so, are your thoughts on that, though, where these people wait 
five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. So I think it comes down to victimology. Um, I had a guy, uh, let's see, I just got a plea agreement uh, notification on one guy in that investigation. Um, the uh, first offense I think happened in 1989. And for context, I was born in 1990. Um, and that guy just- Well, we're done here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and I try to avoid saying uh, saying the year that I was born for so many people. Uh, oh, just a puppy. Just a puppy. The uh, uh, Without going down a rabbit hole around 9-11, that, there were t- a, a sergeant and a commander were talking about it and about where they were. And they both looked at me and I went, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that. I was in grade school and they were like, yeah, get, get the hell out of here. Um, but the, the people that wait, uh, one thing that I learned and I learned it from a gang detective actually, um, who is, who's working, you know, lower income neighborhoods, mm-hmm. predominantly Spanish speaking population. And I've taken this, this lesson with me into my law enforcement career. And I try to teach it to anybody going into a law enforcement career. I never tell anybody that I understand where they're coming from unless I've been there and done that because I, I don't. Right. right. So I get somebody who comes forward after 30, 31 years, I think at the time that I started the investigation. Okay. Right. Like it's taken, it's taken you the victim this long to come forward and God knows that you've been grappling with this yeah. for three decades. Right. And this person, it's typically a family member. Um, and, they finally made the decision to, uh, to it's always a family member. It's always a family. It's always a family member. Always a family you know? member. Um, they finally made the decision to, uh, to come forward. Um, I had a case, uh, I was in court for right after Christmas. Um, I was working in conjunction with another County here in Arizona and the defendant in that case got 22 years and my victim had come forward. What had happened, um, occurred, I think starting in 1994, and didn't end until the early 2000s. And then my victim uh, and the defendant no longer live near each other. Um, and then it came out that the defendant was still getting up to these criminal offenses in yeah. the new county that they live in. Of course. So it all came to fruition. And again, it was that was probably a four or five month long investigation. And you're, you're trying to go back in time to find if Hey, are their employment employment records? Can I to go? Is the manager of this place even still alive for me to talk to? Will they even remember this person? There, you know, you get back into the early '90s. Cell phones weren't as uh, right. as uh, prolific as they are today. So same with social media. Um, it becomes a little bit more challenging because all you have there's no physical evidence anymore. Right? right. He said. She said. He said. She said. Uh, or he said. He said. Or, or yeah. Or or whatever. However it shakes out. Um, but that dude got 22 years. Good. So. Yeah, if it, again, I've never been in the shoes of a victim of a sexual assault. Right. So who am I to judge them for waiting so long, right? I, I've I've closed a number of cases or suspended them out because the victim's just not ready to move right. forward and talk. Understood, understood. Um, and, and it's one of those things that as an investigator, you just have to kind of go, okay, right? Like you've got that, you've got that right. We, we can't do that if your car gets stolen, right. right? The state of Arizona doesn't care that much about your stolen car, but for what happened to you, if you need to wait and go into some sort of uh, trauma therapy or counseling, whatever that looks like, and uh, you've got my number, and you know what? If I'm no longer here, if I've promoted or transferred into a different unit, or um, I'm just for whatever reason no longer with the police department, I work with eight other detectives. One of them will help you. Yeah. You know, so. and in, in this digital day and age, you can just go pull up the file again and oh yeah, pick, I always pick right back up where you. Yeah, left I off. always tell people, hey it. If you don't want to go f- like move forward with your investigation right now, that's fine. Yeah. It takes me a minute 
not even right to to reopen an investigation the longest part of that entire process of me picking up the phone and going hey sarge can you reopen this investigation okay and then click the refresh button and hey there it is all right let's move forward so. see and i come from an agency that was 30 years behind the times back in the day sure so you know it took forever to find old stuff and had literally like stacks of books and portfolio you know file folders and oh all yeah that. So, so. yeah and th- i did sex crimes as well okay i'm sure you you've been to the do you do child crimes yes yeah in the <laughs> It's just the worst. Yes. It's just the worst. And one of the things that I'm very heavy on is mental health. Absolutely. That is my number one thing. The episode that I just had uh, last or a couple of weeks ago was with the wife of a law enforcement officer talking about mental health. And I just cannot stress enough, especially in your position, the disgusting, foul, horrible, horrific shit that people do that doesn't make the news. Right. And it just fucks with you and stays yeah. with you your entire life. Yeah. Two of my cases have made the news. Um, one of the headlines was completely wrong. <laughs> and uh, the only part that they got right was that a shot was fired, but that was it. Okay. Um, and both of those investigations that have been newsworthy involved at least one juvenile victim. Mm. But for whatever, right, my, my unit doesn't differentiate between um, adult and juvenile cases okay. in that we don't have investigators specifically for adult cases and specifically for juvenile cases. We all just take it all. We, each one of us, you look at our case track and you know, juvenile case, juvenile case, adult case, whatever the, whatever it may be. Um, but it, uh, it does, it wears on you, man. I, I came into sex crimes. I can remember talking to my patrol sergeant in 2018 and she had worked sex crimes. And I just remember being like, there ain't no way in hell. Right. I no, I wanted, I, I, I want to be way cooler than I think I am, right? I want to go on to SWAT. I want to go into fugitive apprehension. Like, that's just, this is the game I want to play. I want to be a cop. Yeah. Um, and then, lo and behold, 2019, my patrol sergeant, um, the, I think at shift change for 2020, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, he was going into the sex crimes unit. And he, it, working for him in 2019, turned into a, a mentor, really, for everybody on, on his team, but um, but for me especially. And so I was like, okay, well, I kind of want to follow him to sex crimes. Um, you know, he's saying that the detective work is is important, which it absolutely is. Absolutely. And it's also career-wise, um, I'd always wanted to be a detective of some sort or another. I never knew, really knew what I wanted to be a detective of or what, I, what type of crime I wanted to investigate. But also looking in the future having worked for sergeants who were detectives, their investigative capabilities that they were able to impart upon me. Yeah. I was like, well, okay, you clearly learned a lot. Yeah. So there's that benefit too of go be a detective for a little while. And then the road's never going anywhere, right? <laughs> you can always go back to a black and white police car. You're asking get put back in uniform and in a patrol car like that. Oh yeah. Instantaneously. Yeah. <laughs> get your, get your gun belt and your boots and go hit the road. Right. Yep. Um, but you can also take all of this education yes. that you've got back to the patrol officers, especially the newer officers. Um, and so I went and I shadowed our, our um, family violence unit and our sex crimes unit. And uh, a couple of my FTOs were in our family violence, family crimes unit, if you will. Um, and I didn't really know anybody in the sex crimes unit, but I sat across from uh, a detective uh, who ended up, she's she's now a, a huge mentor and a very positive impact in, in my life, especially as a detective. Um, I credit her and, and one other uh, of the sex crimes detectives who's no longer with the unit. He's since transferred somewhere else in the uh, department. But my victims that have had uh, the desired resolution to mm-hmm. their investigation, right, which is never something that can be guaranteed, 
in the back of my mind, I'm always very aware of if it wasn't for these two people, I would not be as capable as I am. Gotcha. Right. And I'm still, still learning. Um, but sitting down with them and learning, learning their work, um, I sat there and I went, well, shit doing sex crimes investigations. Like again, I, your catalytic converter gets stolen. You can pop a new one in there, right? right I mean, right. and I'm oversimplifying that. I'm not. I'm not a mechanic. Uh, <laughs> your car gets stolen. You you call insurance, yes, and then eventually you get a new car. It's property, property, right? Um, uh, bank fraud. One of the things that irritates me the most. I would absolutely go into financial crimes because I can't stand the people that take advantage of old of uh, like elderly people and, and old folks. No, and take them for a ride for their entire life savings. Um, but but banks have a way of investigating that. Oh, absolutely. And and hopefully recouping some of your financial losses. But what was what's been taken from a victim of a sex offense, especially a child, cannot be replaced. Right. Never. That that level of innocence, that part of their soul, it's gone. So it's on us as sex crimes investigators to be able to come in after the fact and attempt somehow, some way to put the pieces back. Um uh, there's a statistic that 0.35% uh, of sex crimes investigations actually lead to criminal prosecution. Wow. Is that nationally? Nationally. This is the thing that's difficult for people to understand. Absolutely. Is that it's going to perpetuate. Yep. It, in, in sex crimes in children, they not all, obviously, but they learn those behaviors, they learn those patterns, and then when they become adults, they're, I don't know what the number is, but it's probably significantly higher that they have more of a propensity to commit those same crimes. And it's just a revolving door. Mm -hmm. And if we could just solve the trauma in the childhood, how many, how many uh, are suspects, we'll call them suspects for lack of a better term. Did you interview where they admitted that they were? Well, so a lot of them don't like to be interviewed by okay. me. Shockingly. Okay. Um, every now and then, and I can't put a number on it, but every now and then I'll come across a suspect who then is like, yeah, well, you know what happened to me as a kid. And then I sit there and, and genuine again, I'm not bullshitting them. Hey, yep. man, this is your time with me. Tell me about that. Right. I, I turn it in almost to a forensic interview. Yep. Uh, and and a lot of them say, hey, you know what? Like, I'm over it. What's uh, the past is the past. And it's like, I don't know that you are. You're over not it, over it because we're you, sitting here. Given you're sitting here in an interview room <laughs> with a little steel table bolted to the floor so you don't try to throw it at me. Yeah. And, you know, here we are. Uh, so I don't know what the actual number is of uh, perpetrators of sex offenses having been victims of sex offenses. Um themselves uh there was an interesting stat though that um police officers and counselors um and i can't remember it was a, it was a high percentage but i can't remember exactly what it was um had been exposed to some form of like uh, domestic violence or, or traumatic victimization or adverse childhood experience mm -hmm. um, and i thought that that was kind of interesting you know we as cops do we look back on our lives and go oh okay yeah i, 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 I was where, victimized yeah yeah i can see where that where that came from no so I mean, it's, it's an interesting world. When I, when I did go into it, I moved into sex crimes, um, January of 2021. Um, I'd been waiting for four or five months, just waiting for staffing to get where it needed to be that I could be taken from the road and put into my role. And my goal was to do three to five years in sex crimes. Ooh, that's a lofty goal. It's, it's a long time. Well, and sex crimes. I got three years in January, this coming January will be three years and I'm out from there. I remember I was sitting across from, a. I was eating dinner at the station one night and my precinct commander came in. He was working late and he'd asked me, Hey, you know, what's your goal? Or uh, I think he said, what are, you, what are you doing after this? And I thought he meant like eating my dinner. Right. I'm like, well, sir, I'm going to go hit the road, you know, get, get to type in some reports. And he was like, no, 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 no. I mean, after patrol, 
So I told him, oh, I'm thinking about going to sex crimes. And he goes, okay, no matter what you do, three to five years and then move on somewhere else. Don't get stagnant. So I tried to keep that in mind. And and that was the only reasoning behind my three to five years was remembering what, remembering what this commander had said and don't get stagnant. But now it's three years. It's, I mean, I'm acutely aware of what, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to turn this into a sob session of, of just me, right? I'm acutely aware of what detectives as sex crimes investigators are exposed to yep, and have come to the conclusion with a little bit of self-awareness and self-thought that, hey, it's it's time to move on and, and get Good. out of something else. Because I've seen what happens to cops who stay in that role too long. And some people are built for it, right? That, um, that female detective um, who is one of my mentors, she's been in sex crimes, I think, for t- uh, 12 or 13 years. <sighs> And she's got four to go, and she's where she needs to be, right? That is, that's her wheelhouse. That's what no. she's good at. But I have no qualms with telling people, no, hey, like it. This has had an adverse effect on me. Uh, I I have a three year old, almost four year old at home. Um, I've got a, a wife that it, these people still need me to be me, right? So I'm going to take what I've learned, and I'm going to go off and do something else. Yeah, and. Yeah, no, I I commend you for that because far too many officers don't recognize. Again, this is the whole thing I talk about. They don't recognize the fact that it's had an adverse effect on them. And then that's when they go down the rabbit hole of drinking too much. And, you know, the the really dark humor that should not be should not be that dark and just all of the negative things and the negative impact with your wife and your kids and all that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can. I, I, I commend you very much for recognizing that and getting the hell out. And it's in the hardest part is for officers, detectives to realize that like this part is now done. You can close that chapter and you can move on to the next. Yeah. Yeah. I sat down when it, when it came time to uh, start prepping to test into the hiring and recruiting unit, my agency's never had a recruiter before. Okay. Not, not that anybody can remember. We've got a policy on recruiting that's almost 10 years old. So okay. at, at one point in time, somebody was thinking in that direction. Um, but I remember I went and sat down with our chief of police and I was like, hey, boss, like ultimately this is your ship. So what direction are you wanting whoever gets this role to go into? And so he and I talked for a little while and then he sat there and he goes, OK, so how long did you do on patrol? I'm like, I don't know, just shy of four years. It's like, OK, how long will you have had in detectives before you leave? I'm like three. De- Again, depending on you're, right. you're the chief, <laughs> when do you want me to leave? Right. So um, but about three years, he's like, OK. And then you'll go up and do professional standards into the world of hiring. My agency and professional standards, that's the evil IA, right? Yep. Nope. Uh, no, not today, IA, right? So, <laughs> but, uh, but detectives don't work. So, like line-level sworn personnel in my agency don't work the disciplinary side. Okay. Um, we have one detective who reviews like body camera footage for okay. use of force complaints or something along those lines or, or pursuit and accident reviews, things like that. Um, but he's not directly involved with any sort of disciplinary process. I get to be on the like fuzzy bunnies side of thing. Like, Hey, come work for us. Right. We, we would love to have you. Right, and, right. and we genuinely would. I mean, again, I don't bullshit people. Um, but he was like, okay, so you do a few years in professional standards. What's your plan after that? Like, well, there's a couple other units that I'd like to work in. And he sits there and he's like, well, what about promoting? Like, oh, well, maybe my wife doesn't want me to go back to graves just yet. So there's a conversation to have to have with my wife where, yeah, probably in the next two years, I'll I'll look at promoting if it's the right time for me. The the standard I've set for myself throughout my career is that I would not consider promotion until my peers and my mentors started to ask me about promotion. You know, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm just shaking my head going, why 
wasn't the agency I was with like this, where it found people, liked them. I never once saw my chief, never once. And it's just like, and had those personal relationships. And that's awesome to hear that you're, you're able to sit down and have those conversations and a commander comes out and asks what your plans are. Right. Like that's, that's awesome. Like I'm just sitting there going, God damn, I, I totally missed out on that. It was, why aren't you out there writing more tickets? Why right. aren't you pulling right. people over? I'm hungry. You know, but it is good to hear that these types of things are happening. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, find me an agency who's not without its, its lead, its leadership struggles, right. At, at any level. Yes. Um, but again, I'm, I'm pretty damn fortunate to work where I do. Um, because, and again, there are, there are frontline supervisors that have had negative impacts on morale. Um, I've never had to work, uh, with them for them, uh, as a subordinate officer to them. I've been lucky in my career. Um, but it's also, it's, it's not like I have to go find a needle in a haystack to find right. a good supervisor. That's right? awesome. And moving forward, what, I, what I've been, you know, I talked to my buddies about and, and the newer officers is, Hey, you, you are going to change a lot. We, I am, God only knows I have, we are all going to change so much throughout our careers, but as you find leadership styles that work for you and, and mentorship is a big one of mine, because I truly believe that the supervisors that mentored me got me to where I am today yeah, and yeah. will lead for it'll echo beyond their own careers. Right. My, my hopeful successes, right. What I hope to be successful at. Um, but to sit there and as you just foster those positive relationships, yes, yes. My, my Sergeant now when he was a patrol Sergeant, uh, and he was one of my FTOs back almost seven years ago now was, uh, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, you'd sit there and you can tell when your guys are having a shitty day just by the tone of their voice right. on the radio. And you get some other some other supervisor or like middle management coming over and, Hey, you need to go talk to them about their attitude. How, how about I go ask him what, <laughs> yeah. How about I go ask him what's wrong? Yep. And that was his whole strategy is he'd go over there and Hey, you good? Like, are you yep. okay? Like, Hey, no bullshit. Just you and me what's going on because you're something's off right now. And inevitably, not all the time, but I guess inevitably, his guys would go, yeah, you know, it's it's this at home, it's that, it's whatever. It, you know, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. Okay. Do you need to take the rest of the night off? Do you need to go? <laughs> y yes or no, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I should probably dip. Um, and that was... That's his leadership style. I'm, I I'm just, I'm just jealous. <laughs> I'm, I'm just jealous because these conversations weren't had in my. And again, maybe they're happening now. I sincerely hope they are. But it just like it doesn't take much to to invest in your people. It doesn't take much to be involved and, right. and help them. You know, hey, you need the rest of the night off. Not, oh, sorry, we're short staffed. Right, your world's falling apart. I don't give a shit. Yeah, so yeah, it's just, it's just, it's awesome to hear. Well, it yeah, really and really it's, is. and again, it's, it's in incumbent upon us it's incumbent upon people in leadership positions to be the leader that they want their people to see absolutely. that they want their people to become absolutely so like in 2018 my wife and i were trying to have a baby she had a miscarriage my boss and and maybe it's because my boss at the time my sergeant was a woman but i think it's just because she's a good person mm -hmm. i called her i was like yeah kayla just had a miscarriage she's like cool Go pack your shit and go. Well, she didn't say cool. I just <laughs> understood. <laughs> but understood. She was like, okay, no questions asked. Log off, go home. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll put. I'm Again, not yeah. about your wife, but about the leadership. Right, right. We'll put, you know, uh, our extra officer for the the precinct uh, instead of a district wide. We'll just put, put him in your beat. You get out of here and go home. Uh, same thing happened last March. Um, it was my wife's. It was a third miscarriage. And it was just us trying again after, again, I've got an almost four-year-old. And I left 
my my office, my detective bureau. Hey, I'm going to take my lunch break. I'm going to go to this ultrasound, and then I'll be back afterwards. And I call my boss. Hey, man. Like, they just did the ultrasound, and we don't have a heartbeat anymore on this baby. And he was like, okay, don't come back. Take as much time as you need. And then my lieutenant calls me. Hey, Kevin told me what happened. Wow. Because my boss and I have the same name. He's like, my Kevin told me what happened. Take as much time as you need. Do not come back here at, until at least Monday. And I think it was a Monday or a Tuesday. So I, here I am, supervisors telling me, take the time, be with your wife. My wife ended up having to have a, a surgery. Mm. And don't worry about work. Shut the group chat off. Shut your work phone off. We'll cover your on-call. Don't worry about it. That's awesome to hear. That's awesome to hear. I'll, uh, I'll disclose what the agency is later at the end so that people can go that are looking for law enforcement <laughs> can go find this find this agency that's doing a good job. But I, now on this note, though, I mean, this is such a dramatic turn in leadership. And you're living in – one, you're young. Two, you're, you're coming into law enforcement. It's such a pivotal time of you've got crusty old farts that are still there, you know, just in the law enforcement world, maybe not necessarily at your agency. And then you're coming into this new digital age, mm-hmm. and there is a lot more. And I've spoken to to newer officers now. There's a lot more understanding. There's a lot more, for lack of a better term, and I apologize. I'm not being I'm not being a, an asshole, but like the touchy feely stuff, which is good. So I'm just curious how you're, you know, how the department and how officers are navigating this world, being in in you know such. It, it's completely different now that you have officers that are starting podcasts and being forward faces of law enforcement. Right. You know, it's just a different dynamic now. When I sat in one of my initial interviews to get hired, I remember saying something about, you know, at the time, seven years ago, I hadn't seen a lot of my agency on social media. Like, hey, we can use social media for all of its negatives. Social media does have some things that that can be inherently good about it, right? I have For detectives, it's the first thing you go to. It absolutely is. Um, I have family. My my dad's dad was one of 14 in England, in in the county of Kent, southeast England. Um, Twelve of them survived to have children of their own. I have... I don't even know how many cousins in England, um, a handful of them that I keep in regular contact with, but without social media, I wouldn't get to see their right. kids grow up. Right. right. It was when I was growing up, it was like, Hey, you know, our family financially, we can go to England every couple years to go see the family. And these people have not seen me, you know, two, three years ago. Right. right. And then it's another two, three years go by. And now, uh, for better or worse, I still enjoy visiting with my family in England, but now I can watch their families grow up. You know, um, we can use it to locate people yep. and to learn more about people that we might be investigating. Um, a lot more. Yeah. To the point where social media has its, its Sockman, it's social media intelligence analysis, right? It's got its own special word, probably cooked up by some Jason Bourne <laughs> motherfucker in Washington, DC. Right? Like, um, but as far as using social media, I, I worked with a, I didn't work directly for him, but we had a Sergeant who, um, he, he is leaving the agency. He's had a YouTube channel for a while now. Um, and he's seen a lot of success with it and it's gotten him a lot of really cool opportunities, yeah. you know, in life. Um, That's and he, cool. he looked at me one day and he's like, I make more money from YouTube than I do as a patrol sergeant. Oh, I'm sure. I'm like, Holy shit. <laughs> and then I started a podcast. Now. <laughs> but, uh, Look, uh, it's either only fans and selling my feet pics yep. or it's me trying to schlep on here and on YouTube. So, and you know. one of those is against policy, right? So <laughs> I don't have any policies. That's true. You don't. I'm good I to do. go. <laughs> I don't have any policies. But I think I'm when, taking my wife's sandals off and yeah. picking up. Babe, don't worry about it. We got a car payment to make. <laughs> um, 
Uh, just kidding. Again, as a sex crimes detective, I probably yes. shouldn't be making those jokes. But again, all in all the, in jest. This is the dark humor. Though. This is the dark humor. Yeah, and again, like I get excited. Um, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm not interrupting. I apologize. Well, I am, but I apologize. It's my show. Shut up. No, no I'm yes. just kidding. <laughs> um, I get excited when I have fellow law enforcement on, and I can shoot the breeze and all that good stuff. So I try to be like, you know, minimize myself. I'm like, oh, shut up. It's it's about you, not me. No, don't worry about it. Man. I <laughs> find myself doing it in the same. You know, on on my own show that. I need I, I need to work on the other person talking more, but at the same time trying to be a good host. Yes. And also as a what I would say a professional interviewer. Yep. yep. Right. As Agreed. a forensically trained uh you know, a forensic interview trained detective, uh, this is just kind of how the game gets played, right? This is the forensic interviewing, I, I am quiet a lot up to a point, and then you get into the nitty-gritty and you need to ask more specific questions. And I think the same thing stands true for podcasts. So you're never interrupting me, AJ. Don't you worry <laughs> about it. Jump in at any point in time, man. Well, I did learn pe- people are assholes, but I'm a free speech absolutist. So when I had Frank on and I read the comments that people left, it was either – that's my big successful video, and that's kind of put me on the map. And, and that's, sure. I've got nearly 100,000 views on that video. So, again, I'm, I'm a little guy. I just want to have good conversations. But I did – I read the comments. I'm like, well, man, some people grilled me, and then some people praised me, you know, 50-50. But I did learn – one of the things they said was like, dude, shut up. So I, I'm working on like, okay, just ask the question, you know, let the person talk. Right. But then also when you're in the moment, we're just bantering. Yeah, absolutely. we're just we're just bantering. We're just going back and forth, and you know all that type of stuff. What on that you said is something funny though. Just a real quick question, if you want to answer, like, have you noticed any? I don't want to say I don't want to get into your personal life with your wife, but like one of the issues that my wife has always had is like, Jesus, you ask so many questions, and it's like I'm just just trying to get the information. Like I was kind of trained that way. That's right. what I did for a long period of time. Yeah, I think uh, my wife and I have always prided ourselves on our ability to communicate. Yeah. Um, one thing where being a law enforcement officer has not a negative impact by any means, but we are problem solvers. That is our yes. job. Yes. Every day we go to work, we're trained in the academy, we're trained in field training, and then we do it every day for at least 40 hours. Did you go to Willia? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, we are trained problem solvers. That is our goal. And what I've had to learn when my wife comes to me with a problem or a frustration is to ask her, okay, do you want a solution or do you want to vent? And quite freak, because my wife used to get on my ass. No, stop. I I don't need a solution. I just need to be frustrated for 20 minutes. And you're over here being reasonable (laughs) and trying to come up with, it's cool, Dave. We don't have to worry about money. We're going to go steal the Declaration of Independence, and this is how we're going to do it. I've seen the movie. I know how it works. We just got to find a fence. We're good to go. Yeah, exactly. We just got to find somebody who will fence it. And it's probably, I don't know. Somewhere not that far away. We could probably get down to Mexico or go over to Europe with Easily. it. I don't know. Easily. Easily. It's cool, guys. We figured out like 8% of the problem. Right. Um, but my wife just wants to be heard yeah. as opposed to me coming up with some sort of solution. Um, I did take a, uh, I took a week-long class taught by, I think his name's Steve Johnson. Uh, it's called Truth to Lies, and it's all about statement analysis. Okay. And I, not that my wife lies to me. But I did sit there, and as she's speaking, and I'm like, "Oh, okay." The way that you worded that sentence, and she's like, "Don't you, don't you pull that shit with me?" Um, so I, I don't know that I uh, that she's hemmed me up or, or gotten on me for asking too many questions. Uh, but it has it's the the solution oriented uh, part of my brain that's like, "Okay, you've given me a problem." Yeah, my entire yeah. existence is to solve problems. 
That's all that I do. And now there's this, okay, all right, I need to take a break for a second and let, okay, you just want to vent. Um, you know what? As a forensic interviewer, I'm really good at listening. There's a video called It's Not About the Nail. Okay. And okay. I'll, I, I recommend everybody YouTube it. It's not about the nail. And it's a wife who has a nail in her head. And she keeps talking about like, God, I've got this pressure right here. And the husband's like, but if you just, just take the <laughs> nail out. She's like, it's not about the nail. He's like, but you have a nail in your head. So, yes, we, we all, as men, we have that innate drive to problem solve and fix yeah. things and get things done. And we can nurture it later. But, like, let's fix the damn thing and move on with our lives. Right. But, it, but law enforcement does a fantastic job of solving their own problems. But they're not doing a good job of solving, the, you know, again, as a whole, solving the issues within law enforcement. Right. So, right. and again, this is one of the reasons that I wanted to say that I love being able to sit down with you who is not in patrol to show the world that it's not just First Amendment audits with a, you know, law enforcement officer from a traffic stop. But there's so much shit happening behind the scenes that you just don't know about. Yeah. You know, you defund the police. You're not going to be working sex crimes anymore. Right. You're going to be working a beat. That little girl, that little boy, that man, that woman, that whatever, who was sexually abused is not going to get justice. Right. You know, it might be delayed by a, a long period of time, but because you're because something got defunded or whatever, funds got diverted, or there's not enough people anymore because nobody wants to do the job, those are the things that get neglected. Right. You know, the, the robberies and all that type of stuff, all of the low level, not an emergency right now stuff gets pushed to the back. Right. And right. that's every agency. Yeah, and you see it. I mean, you see it with agencies that are pushing their detectives back to patrol, and for no other reason than we can't hire people, right. we can't keep people. So, yes, homicide detective of twenty-seven years who can retire tomorrow if you so feel like it. If you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you can quit right now and get a pension. Hey, we got to send you back to patrol. So, and not only is it a detriment to the victims that they would interact with on a daily basis for their specific type of crime that they're investigating, but again. Dude, I've only been off the road for almost three years. No. It took me, I covered a beat uh, earlier this year, I, I, maybe back in the springtime. It took me three hours to figure out our new crash report system. Gotcha, gotcha. Because it had come to me as a PowerPoint, you know, for just computer-based training. No practical and I'm like, application for I'm you. like, I, I don't need to worry about this anymore. Click next, 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 next. And then I get to, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to go cover a beat. We've got a sergeant working a patrol beat. That's not right. I'll go out and cover the rest of the shift for him. And so... uh yeah, okay, hey, uh, you know, key up my call sign, send me where you need me. And they're like, cool, take this commercial vehicle, hit and run. And I'm like, that's not what I fucking meant. <laughs> right? Send, send me the barking dog call. Send, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got a sex offense that's holding? I can, I can take I that I can one. take that. Commercial vehicles? No, no, no. Call DPS. They do that stuff. <laughs> right. Forgot I had a human there for a second. I'm choking on my own spit over here. So, <laughs> um, But... Therein lies the the other issue. The greater issue is that it's taking those experienced detectives yes. or motor officers from wherever and putting them back in patrol. There's an officer safety issue, potentially. I agree. Um, I served a search warrant on a house last year. We didn't have SWAT. We didn't have the apprehension unit. Uh, eventually, I'll get past this whole, you know. <laughs> Isn't it wild how like, down the, it yeah. takes you like forever? <laughs> All right. And big uh, deep breath. Yeah. Just inhaled my own spit and forgot how to be a biological human there for a second. Um, but it was, it was yourself here. Right, right. It was on us as the sex crimes detectives like, hey, okay, we're going to go serve this warrant without any outside help other than patrol. That's terrifying. A bunch of detectives doing that. A bunch of detectives who, again, I would put the detectives that I work with against 
any investigator from any other agency. If there was a way for us to compete, right, right, I, I would tell you we'd get the Olympic gold every time. And that's because I've seen the quality of work that my my partners do. Um, and and now it's different. The the unit that I'm in, our sex crimes unit, is fairly young. Okay. Um, at three, again, not even quite three years on, I am the third most senior of nine. Do you think that's good or bad or neutral for the quality of work? I think there's D all the above, right? Understood. So, um, and again, so we've got our two most senior detectives collectively have somewhere probably close to 30 years experience in the sex crimes world. But you take those detectives and you go ask them to do a traffic stop or a high risk, a high risk traffic stop or serve the search warrant no, on an apartment. Not going to happen. They get two people out of the apartment and then they're just wheeling in their search warrant kit. And it's like, whoa, 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 time out. <laughs> Well, we asked him if if uh, suspect was inside. Oh, and of all your years in law enforcement, you think they're going to tell you the truth? And and you know what? Maybe they are. But like, hey, we've got patrol here. Like, let's just clear this house real quick. And then they're like, oh, you're right. We are supposed to do that. That's something that we usually have the tactical guys do, right? right? The right. the mystical magical gray pants squad comes in and <laughs> and just demolishes everything, or they throw robots and dogs inside this house, and then. We can go work. I was very safely. guilty as charged. Guilty as charged, right? Um, <laughs> I, I was not SWAT. My wife has made it very clear she does not want me in tactical operations work, um, which we can cross that bridge as far as you know those those relationships um, and and how they impact your career. But statistically, it's the lowest level of use of force. Oh yeah, I, I have had multiple SWAT operators tell my wife that <laughs> to include SWAT supervisors. My wife looks them square in the eye and goes, "I don't fucking care." So, <laughs> guess what? She wins. She wins. She wins. 10 out of 10, right? <laughs> so um, uh, it's okay. She's cute to look at. She's there a good go. kisser. So um, uh, the, oh, no, all good. Um, you got to, as I, as I was saying, is going in with these these detectives and clearing a house and, or doing a high-risk stop and, and seeing them just in a training environment. Yeah. And again, I, I'm not the best at anything, right? Again, I've, I've been removed from it for three years and I catch myself going, oh, shit, that wasn't safe. Or, I, oh, I don't really remember. Hey, when we do our high-risk traffic stops, are we, are we doing them LAPD style with the doors open and the fan? Or are we going to the back of the car? Or are we overlapping engine blocks? What are we doing? And then these dudes are just staring at you like, who's this fucking detective? And why does he not know how to be a police officer? There's a cliche for of that for a reason. Yes. There really, really is. And again, it's the same sort of... I've seen when I was in patrol, I've been out the shooting range, and I saw detectives take out their cell phone and try to jam it into, oh, yeah. the, into the magazine well. Yeah. You know, it's like they just forget that they're not... They're not as cool as they thought they were. Right. You know? Well, and, and I guess once upon a time, and it, it's before I was ever even a police officer, but uh, once per quarter, all the detectives have to wear their uniforms. And so that's when all the sex crimes detectives schedule all their interviews because we're not supposed to wear uniforms when we're interviewing. That's our gotcha. that's our super secret right there. I'm just giving away <laughs> the keys to the castle. My unit's going to hate me when I get back to work. Um, but we have to wear uniforms. And I looked at my boss I'm like, why? Yeah. What is the, I've got my uniform. It's in my locker with my gun belt. Like I carry my gun to work every day. And he goes, well, that's the problem is that for so many years, detectives, eventually you get into this role and you get complacent. And these dudes are showing up like they were sent to go in. I think it was just do traffic control or something like that. When, when the, let's say like 2009, 2010, when all their big rains came through and the streets were flooded. Oh, yeah. and like the, They had the hundred year flood. The hundred year flood. Yeah. 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 Um, and these detectives were all sent out on traffic control and they're like, yeah, I don't have a uniform. I don't have boots. I don't have my gun. I don't have a radio. And you're like, what do you have? <laughs> right. Well, I've got, I've pen got and brunch paper. and I've got yeah. pen and paper. Right. So, um, 
that's where it's it's important to avoid that complacency. Absolutely. I so, do agree. I do agree. But also at the same time, though, I also do believe that as because I've now aged and I'm, I've matured, I actually do look back. There was a crusty old dude that was on my squad. And now that I look back, we used to complain about him. But he was also the most knowledgeable. Right. So I do believe that there should be a natural pr progression of the gung-ho, oorah, you know, doing the best and outperforming everybody, but then also into a take more of a step back. And it's 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 the young bull and the old bull joke. Right. You know, right. It's, it's, it's it's the colors joke. Exactly. Course, yeah, exactly. Which uh, uh, I had. All, so I was told to watch colors by my gang unit FTO. OK, because uh, when I was going through it, your proactive week was with the gang unit. I was never in the gang unit, but um in 2017, he told me my homework was to go home and watch Colors, okay. and I only just finished that homework, I think, in May. And I sat there, and I, I watched this movie, and I'm like, how have I never seen this movie? This is I love this film. <laughs> See, and again, showing my age a little bit, I was a Mesa police explorer from the age of 14 to 17. Okay. And then I competed in – I was one of the, the, the golden boys of the group, so I would go on all the vacations – or not vacations, but the explorer um, – Sure, competitions comp and whatnot. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. And uh, we were actually really close with your particular agency. We used to work really, really – I mean, get it, this is years ago. But I got to meet the detective that Colors was off of. He did a presentation to us. So I got That's to meet cool. that dude. This is, again, back in like 94 or 90 – Right. Because the movie came out in like 86 or 87. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we uh, we have a one of our one of my buddies, uh, Jimmy, in our unit. Uh, we have a picture taped to his filing cabinet of um, uh, Sean Penn, okay, in uniform because it's like you look at Jimmy and you look at Sean Penn and you're going, dude, if we put a if we put a Sam Brown on you and uh, get you a white undershirt, yeah, yeah, I think you'd look exactly like Sean Penn. That's in funny. Colors. That's awesome. Um, but it's uh. One thing I, I I wanted to hit on is, and you'd ask me about like the, the the warm and fuzzies in the social media. I remember sitting in my interview talking about the positives of social media and on me for derailing that to talk about my family. But um, this commander looked at me and he was like, cops have no business being on social media. Mm. You shouldn't even have social media. And I don't know if that was just the fact that it was it was foreign to him. That he, was my mentality. That was And that was your mentality. That was my mentality. So... I mean, is it uh, is it one of those things that it's like, oh, we, we don't want our we want our officers to to be safe on social media or to be safe and and not get doxxed or whatever that you right. know, was going not be found by people, um, or we don't want our officers to be fucking stupid on social media, which is that's exactly uh, what it mostly came from. You know, <laughs> and before departments started doing that, all we had heard was the negative and the negative. I mean, I did internal investing. I was not internal affairs, but we did do critical incidents. So I'd have to talk to officers and we're like, and we were, I remember one distinctly where the dude took a picture of a, it like, as the car was like coming to rest from a pursuit that he was in, what did he do? He whipped out his phone, took a picture, put his phone down, then went out and got drew down and, and took care of business. And so that was the mentality. It was like, why are you doing this? Like, this is right. all negative, 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 negative. There was not the goal of actually reaching the public and forming a bond with the public and or having a forward facing, you know, uh, line to the public. It wasn't like right. that at all. Which and moving into recruiting, that's where we try to improve our, our social media, right? Yeah. I mean, my agency's got two social media pages. One's for, you know, the general, like, community social media, gotcha. notifications, uh, coffee with a cop, things like that. And then there's the other page uh, that I work with, which is all about recruiting. It okay. is, and it, it, it is it is mission-specific to recruiting. We are going to be at this location on this date at this time to do this. Gotcha. If it's uh, hold mock oral boards, if it's to uh, do a practice PD test, or, hey, we're just going to be out talking about the job. Um, and that is where social media 
for police work is so important yes. because you're, if you're not on social media, you're just not getting the word out right at all. You can, you can spend five grand on a billboard, right. but I don't know how many people are going to see that billboard. Right. Um, we've done that. And I have talked to uh, one person and Hey, good on them. <laughs> one person was like, Oh yeah, I saw your billboard and was like, Oh, Cool, I should do that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, it worked. $5,000. $5,000. I hope you make it through the process, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, but without social media, yeah, you can pay for it, but it largely is a free tool. No. You just need to get somebody who knows what they're doing and knows how to leverage that in a positive manner. Yes. Right, and and to keep the the forward momentum and keep up with it. I, you don't, I don't know that you need somebody who's going to get into all the science of like, Oh, well, we have to post on Wednesday at 524 p.m. Right. But you're going to, if you find somebody, I mean, look at Pinal County Sheriff's Office. Yes. They hired, like, I had, I talked to Matt Thomas about their everything. They they took somebody from the news media. Okay. They, they, yeah. they poached somebody from the news media and said, go run our stuff. And that's why they're, like, so successful. Yeah. And, I mean, and Sheriff Lamb does his own thing. But, I mean, like, his stuff looks good, even if you don't like cops. Like I said, the stoner community watches their stuff. Like, yeah. You look at Dark Horse Lionheart, yes, right? Matt, yes. Uh, I had Matt on the show, and it's like, dude, what you're doing is awesome. Yes, I do agree. And it's it's not overly complex. It's it's cops, but it's somehow more real. And he that person is I I don't know him personally. I've I do follow him, but like his his audio video quality is yeah. top level stuff, and it shows a lot of really really cool aspects of the job. There's another one down in Tucson called JD Tech Media or something like that. Oh, I haven't seen that. That one does yet. okay, very much the same thing. And it's like showing that other side. And this is where I always get lost in the sauce when it comes to the cannabis community because they're like, why, you know, why is the SWAT team doing this? Or, you know, why are, why are cops doing that and this or that? And it's like, it's for safety. Yeah. It's for their safety, the suspect, whether the suspect is innocent or guilty is irrelevant at the moment. But, you know, like there are things that cops do that are for the safety of them, for the safety of the public and the safety as a whole. The public doesn't understand these things because they haven't been trained. They don't think like right. this. They're not, you know, like, why is there 30 cops? Well, there's a reason. Yeah. You know, so I that's where I also try to bridge those gaps on things. And, like, you know, this is the reason why we do things. They do things. And I understand. Like, my wife will text me a message like, oh, there's a bunch of cops in Everton. I'm like, going, good. I'm not going outside then. They're busy. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need my help. Yeah, I'm going to just uh, stay inside. I'll, yeah. If anybody needs me, I'm going to be watching TV yeah. or playing video games. Or yeah, cooking, I'm busy right? doing something. There was a post on Instagram the other day. Uh, it was a reel that somebody made, and it was like, uh, of course, XYZ Sheriff's Department or Police Department is waking me up at 530 in the morning with, with this. And it's a, an MRAP rolling into this apartment complex, and I think they blow the door, and then it's the loudspeaker notifications okay. and the... Uh, um, the bullhorn and whatnot. And it's like, well, I'm sorry that, that they woke you up probably two or three hours before you were supposed to be awake. But also they did all of that. As you just said, it's a safety issue, yeah. right? We did all of that for a reason. The fact that they're there serving a search warrant and they got a nighttime exception to the search warrant, right. which of course the general public doesn't know about. Right, right. But that they got a nighttime exception to the search warrant tells me everything I need to know about that situation, at least from an outside perspective of, hey, stay inside. And you know what? Maybe stay away from the windows for a minute. But <laughs> so, you have that experience. Right. That's the hard part to, to, to explain to people. Like, you know, I've, I've told the story before. Had I not had I not have been in, I was on SWAT and I was also a crisis negotiator and I got called to a dude who was barricaded in his house. Had I not had been in a military piece of equipment that Gila, Gila County had, um, I would have been shot. Sure. The dude yeah. was shooting us with a twenty two caliber rifle. That would have gone through any, he was shooting directly at me. It's like, 
again, I understand that it's big and it's scary and all that. And we can only go off of good faith. You can only go, I can only go, you hear so many bad things. You hear so much bad case law. You hear, you know, Detective A got, got search warrant in state A, but then served it in B two weeks later. And again, like all the, the things that are terrible, right. but on the whole, there's, you know, you have to take it in good faith that they're, Again, there's a reason. Maybe the person's wanted, has known weapons. You know, maybe the crime, you know, maybe it was rape or sexual crime or whatever, or murder. You know, you want to go in with the, on the winning side and you want to go in so that nothing does escalate and you yeah. can stop it before it starts. I had a lady scream at me when I was on patrol. And I do mean, I'm not being facetious. She was screaming like the vein on the side of the forehead, nice. out of breath, um, because I'd done a passenger side approach on a traffic stop. Really? <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all I ever did. Yes, and that's all I ever did. And and I try as I might to explain to her, look, there's somebody on the other side of this wedding ring that I need to go home right. to. Well, fuck you. I've got a family to go home to, and you're being a creep, and I didn't know you were over there. Like The whole point of me coming over here is, A, you probably don't know I'm coming over here. Right. So if you've got a gun, I might have a just a second longer to register that you've got a gun. B, it's like moths to a flame and you've got red and blue lights on. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to be fucking run over yep. by somebody not paying attention on the street, looking at their phone, looking at the back of my police car. Oh, the blinky lights. So cool. And then I get schwacked by a, you know, a one ton truck or yep. something like that. And so, I was I was highway patrol. And so you were highway patrol. Exactly. All we did. That you, was you guys invented the passenger side <laughs> approach. Exactly. Right? Us city dudes. It, it took us a minute, you know, <laughs> so it's just the. Again, that, and that's where social media can come in for a yes. positive on, on hey, we do, we do this because of this. But then on the other side of the coin, I've run into people going, we have no business putting that on social media because the bad guys are going to know about it. Dude, the bad guys already <sighs> fucking know about it. You're, 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 and this is where I have conversations regarding criminal justice reform. Like, we have to understand that there's an element of human beings out there that are just bad. They're just evil. What caused them to become that way? Well, we can have that debate later, whether it's childhood trauma or whatever the case is. But there are some people that just are bad. Yeah. They're just evil. They serve no purpose. And I do believe that they are beyond any kind of redemption. But at the same time, like your your normal guy who drank too much, you know, one went out one night and drank a little too much. That's not a hardened criminal. But there is a criminal element, you know, that that is out there that does need to be dealt with. Right. They don't give a flying fuck about your safety, my family, your family, or anything like that. They're in it for themselves. And we have to acknowledge left, right, Republican, Democrat, that there are those people. Right. I, I don't remember what movie I heard it in, um, but it was it was such a good line. And I think they were some military movie and, and the the dude has, you know, given a briefing to the special forces unit or seals or whoever it was and he's like just remember that the bad guys do this for a living too yep and i sit there and i go look i get your argument that we don't want to put out like swat tactics on social right, media right but taking the minute to explain to our citizens why we do a, a, a passenger side approach there's already look at like street cop training right one yes. of the, a huge yes. following on on social media plenty of other law enforcement uh or or tactics based uh pages on social media the information is largely already 100%. out there, right? Um, you know, even, even the military, right? They do that big show, I think it's down in Miami, where the the SEALs come in on their oh, little yeah, helicopters yeah, yeah. and, and uh, fast rope onto a yacht and whatnot. And that's a massive public display. 
Sure, Hezbollah's probably watching that, but the Navy doesn't give a flying fuck that somebody in, right. in Iran or over in Gaza is like, oh, so that's how they take down a super yacht. Okay, right. good to know. No, it's something that they put on for the taxpayers and for the citizens to be like, hey, look, this is really cool. And as a recruiting element to it, absolutely, I know there is. <laughs> you're, right? think, you're already thinking. Right. I like that. I, like I that. watched Top Gun. I know how. I know. Oh, I want to do that. <laughs> um, but... There's there's a balance somewhere between getting information out to our citizens while not giving away the keys to the castle for people, as you said, the, the predators of the world. But there again, I go back and forth on the information's already out there. Right. They already know it. The, or, or they're going to get it from, they're gonna from get it. somewhere, right? Like, And most of the time, I mean, oh, we don't want to tell people that we do pastor side approaches, but then there's all these social media pages talking about pastor side approaches. Right. Some people know I'm, I'm coming up to him on their passenger side, but then again, I had a dude, I'm sitting there on this passenger side of his window and he's still looking over like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's like, and I can see he's getting frustrated and he's like, where the hell is this cop? And I finally do the whole, like, and he like, Oh, Oh, and I'm like, Hey, sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. Uh, there's a lot of traffic over there, which is why I'm on the sidewalk. And he was like, Oh, Oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. Well, guess what? That person that I've now done a pastor's side approach on, should he become an evil human being, now knows that <laughs> yes. the dude in the police uniform is going to walk up on the passenger side instead of the driver's side. So that's just one example. But One of the things for me, though, too, moving into the political world and moving into, you know, uh, criminal justice reform, because I do a lot of that. I mean, I'm, I'm all about criminal justice reform sure, here, sure. Uh, especially when it comes to cannabis. Um, I believe in full Full transparency when it comes to tax dollars. I, yes. I agree with full transparency, and it really pisses me off that some police agencies, even here in Arizona, they'll release webcam footage where literally everything is blurred out. And I just completely disagree with that. I'm of the mindset of we should be doing right from the top down. So there should be zero, right. zero ambiguity on anything. It should be crystal clear. It should be open for discussion. It should be open for debate. And the public should know what is going on with their tax money. Yes, when I was a cop, I'm sure I had a very different mindset. I never I never cared about being videoed. And again, I just didn't work in a time and place where everybody had. Yes, they did, but it wasn't as prolific as it is now. Right. But I believe in full transparency. I think everything should be open and showing exactly what happens. Because if you're not doing anything wrong, there's no problems. Right. And right. just the public does need to accept the fact that something, sometimes some things are down and dirty. Yeah. And everything just needs to be a forward progression of learning and how do we move forward. Right. It's right. not really you know, that difficult. You're going to have times I had a dude pull a flat-bladed screwdriver on me in a Walmart. Uh, he was shoplifting, and that was his weapon of choice. Well, guess what? I had to fight that dude. Yeah. And that's just the way that it worked. Is he still breathing? Oh, yeah. He went to jail that day. He even that's apologized. Amazing. So, right? And uh, and again, some people were like, yeah, why didn't you shoot that dude? Why didn't you do X, Y, Z? He didn't need to die, right? I, right. I just was going to fight the guy. And... Got the screwdriver away from him almost immediately, and then it was just this like wrestling match, you know. Of uh, no, you're going to put handcuffs on. I don't want to put handcuffs on. But you're going to put handcuffs on. Uh, but again, like the First Amendment auditors, the way that I look at it is the only reason I wasn't issued a body camera in the academy is because I didn't need it in the academy. Right. But as soon as I got out of the academy, they were like, "Here's your radio. Don't lose it." Uh, or you're going to get in a lot of trouble. And then here's your body camera. Please also don't lose this. I've never known a police career without a body camera. I never had one. And you never had one. Never and, had one. And I, I still run into guys that I work with. And I say guys, run into people that I work with 
who struggle with having a body camera. And it's like, guys, we've had them for seven years, if not longer than that. And for me, it's not foreign. I've been exonerated uh, in a couple complaints yeah. by my body camera. Somebody called and said that I was racist and that I was extremely rude to them because they were driving a car through a park. And my commander. You were probably rude to them, went, which is okay. No, I, I, that's just it. I wasn't. My, I'm, just I'm sitting there. Uh, uh, my commander walks, and I was on graves, and so it was weird. It's like, why is the commander still here at 9 o'clock at night? And he walks in, and he's like, hey, man, uh, do you remember contacting this dude yesterday in the park for having the car and driving through the park? And I was like, uh, yeah, why? He goes, yeah, he called and filed a complaint on you. So while he was on the phone with me, I pulled up Axon and watched your body camera footage, and I played it loud enough so that he could hear the number of times that you said, sir, and just how you spoke with him in this respectful manner. And then he decided he didn't want to be a complainant anymore. Nice. Like, all right, cool. Well, on to the next one, right? So I've always been a proponent <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. of body cameras. I mean, we've all said some stupid shit over the radio or over CAD or on a body camera. Um, but even with the, with the First Amendment auditors, you know, it's the whole, like, self, I'm filming you. And it's like, cool, well, I've got my own body camera. And you see too many officers, though, getting all worked up over that shit. And again, it's all the stuff you see online. You're right. only seeing the negative part of it. Right. And we, we had a guy who uh, it ended up getting turned into policy for us that if somebody asks your name or your badge number, just give it to them. It's public record. Exactly. You're a government employee, right? You can Google me. And I think the Arizona Republic in 2018 mm-hmm. did a, uh, all these state employees make X number of dollars. Yep. Well, I'm in that document, right? <laughs> I am too, still, right? actually. So, and you, yeah, you still are. Yep. If we've ever been sued, which yep. find me a cop after three or four years who hasn't been named in a lawsuit, um, especially in the somewhat litigious society <laughs> that, nope. we, that we live in. Well, that's on. That's going to be in there too, right? If you're a detective and you've charged somebody with a number of serious felony offenses, you're probably going to be on the internet. Absolutely. Somewhere. So, absolutely. Again, it. Oh, well, we have an IT guy who uh, does a lot with cybersecurity, and he talks a lot about uh, like doxing and um, improving your security profile. And there's no under undermining the importance of improving your security online. Right. right? And that's something that I teach to, uh, to citizens in the community. And it's something that we preach to our officers, but our IT guy also puts it this way. How many people actually are targeting you? And you're like, uh, and he goes, exactly. You're like, Oh, okay. So yeah. Does it happen? Yes. Of course. But like you've said, there are the people who are inherently evil in society. Yes. And then there's like everybody else. And some dude sitting on the side of a road filming your police station and all the numbers on the vehicles as they come out. Okay, whatever. Hey, what's your name and badge number? Oh, hey, dude, my name and badge number is this. Right. And then just move on with your day. Don't. They're trying to get you to get all assed up. That's, they, that's the point. They want content yes. for their YouTube channel. Right. When I was a baby cop, my goal in, I was literally, it was like, okay. Goal number one, go home at the end of shift. Yep. Goal number two, don't get on YouTube. That second goal lasted maybe four months. And then it was like, that. Ah, fuck it. All right, whatever. Like, and then it was just, just don't get asked up about it. Don't, don't be the reason that they get a bunch of clicks and likes on their video. Just, yeah. Hey man. All right, cool. We're going to be inside and chilling. And if you have any questions, come on in. But other than that, have a nice day. Yeah. Like there's no, re- and again, and I, I, I understand the old school mentality I do. And again, because I had that old school mentality, but you just got to adapt with the times. And I, I do fall back on the whole, well, it's in the constitution. Yeah. You know, this stuff should be taught and I'm not bagging on the officers that don't know. It's maybe not necessarily their own ignorance. Maybe the department hasn't stepped up. I mean, one of the things that I had the privilege of 
or I don't know if it's the disadvantage of, um, being that I was state, little tiny itty bitty rinky dink podunk police departments all through Arizona would call us. They don't have policies on stuff like this. Right. They didn't have, because they're 20 years behind the times. Like, still to this day, there's police departments that are behind the oh, times. Yeah. And they don't have their legal advisor on speed dial, <laughs> right. right? You know, They don't even have a legal advisor. Right. You know, so it's just the sort of thing where it's just not being, if it's not catching up with the times and it's not being taught. I mean, but the younger generation coming in is pretty much adapt to, oh, yeah. you know, this thing is everywhere it's at everywhere. all times. Yeah, and but, constantly recording. Well, and, and more to your point about the Constitution, so... My partner Spencer, who's no longer in in our unit, he's moved on to somewhere else in the agency for good reasons. It was his own it was his own decision. Gotcha. He wasn't forced over there, but he had a uh, a copy of the Constitution hung up on his cubicle wall. I keep a copy of the Constitution in little book form. I got it during Police Week when I was in D.C. with nice. our Honor Guard unit, and I keep it at my desk. And I don't I don't sit there and quote the thing chapter and verse, but right. it's it's that physical like tangible reminder. Yes, uh, and we've also like again I consider it we're very lucky to have a legal advisor who you go and ask a question to and they'll sit there and go, okay, well, constitutionally, and you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to get a good, like, well thought out answer on this. Cause you sit there and you go, you know what, for some of these investigations, would it go quicker if you could supersede all of these things? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. But those are, there's a lot of really good rules in place for a lot of really good reasons, yes. right? Because there's this snowball effect that if I supersede the constitutional authority for a suspect per se and and maybe you could sit there and justify it until you're blue in the face right this guy's a murderer he's got child sexual abuse material it's this that and the other thing he's a bad 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 person well there's that slope and it's not gradual right i think it's it's like okay okay you can probably justify it this time maybe you can justify it this time right. and then before you know it you've got agencies that are just dishing out constitutional violations like it's candy and i we don't we don't want that because no. we've already had struggles with public uh public trust and um, I mean, I don't, I don't need the public to admire police departments, but I would like us to just have this respectful understanding of, hey, I'm here to protect you and I am here to uh, work with you. Right. Um, sure. You can do the whole I pay your paycheck thing. Right. You and everybody else in this city with your <laughs> thank you for buying things in town. Right. That's usually how that works at sales tax. But um, uh, my job is not to destroy your livelihood or violate your rights, uh, your, your state rights, your constitutional rights, whatever. Um, it's, it's to ultimately at the end of the day, I need you to trust me enough to be able to pick up the phone and call 911. And it all boils back down to the, if you're, if you have a, I argue that if you have defunded police departments, you're going to get lower quality applicants, you're going to get lower quality officers, you're going to get more civil rights violations, you're going to get more bad shootings. Good shootings happen. Bad shootings happen. And it all has to be acknowledged. And if you're, re and I've, again, I thought the academy was long back when I was in, I was prior military, but then after that went into the, uh, went into the law enforcement. I'm now of the mindset where training needs to be two years long. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? could be. It needs to be two years long of nothing but constitutional law and stress inoculation and mental health and all that. And if we raise the standards and make it a respectable thing where it's seen as respectable, I mean, the age old adage has been, oh, it couldn't do any anything else. So you became a cop or, you know, you failed out of high school. So you became a cop. And some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life are law enforcement and also some of the dumbest, too. Sure. <laughs> you well, know? And it comes back to less than one percent of the U.S. population can be a police officer. Right. And so you could raise that certainly by there's, there are some, 
cannabis is one of them. There are some arbitrary rules set in place by uh, by governing state governing boards where it's like, should this even be something that we are fucking worried about? Anymore, right. Guys like this. Right. Is, this is some old school thought processes right here. Like we can move past this and yep. maybe help raise that one percent. But I remember talking to the dudes in the academy class. Uh, one of them, I asked him, like, hey, man, how's this compared to boot camp? I wasn't in the military. I'm like, is it? I expect you to say it's easier. And he was like, it's not easier. It's not harder. It's just different. Yeah. He was like, with boot camp, there isn't this like college level academics that went along with it. Right. I mean, academies now are six months long. And at the end of it, you get, I can't remember if you get an associate's degree or you get uh, almost all of the credits damn you near. need. Damn near. Damn, damn near, near an yeah. associate's degree. Well, I came into the academy with a bachelor's degree okay. in criminal justice. Um, and I was told, oh, you're going to pigeonhole yourself. You're just, well, I want to be a police officer and I want to do the very best that I can at that job. So that's why that was my degree program. If you wanted to be into marketing, you would get a marketing I'd get, degree. I get a marketing degree. If I really wanted to run a nonprofit, there's a whole slew of degrees for that. If I wanted to go be an intelligence officer, I could probably go and find a degree program for that. I will say, though, that I did. I got my degree after I got out of law enforcement. And I think public administration is actually if if you work for a small department that doesn't have a lot of resources get the criminal justice side but i think public administration is actually a better fit for officers that are in large departments because you're going to learn all the criminal justice stuff from your forensics people and you've got scientists yeah, and you've got yeah. this and you've got that the public administration degree that i got they kept they, the counselors like well why don't you just finish your criminal justice degree and this is post-termination and i was like fuck this i'm out i don't want to deal with any of that stuff so I, but i had tons of it for the public administration right. one and it teaches parts about the law like why do government do this how does it you know just all of the little intricacies of of law and, and why things are the way they are and i was like this is actually a better degree yeah they actually like why do we do memos in this format oh well it's actually right here and explains why so it was actually a really good program to go into well and i'm glad to hear that because as i sidebar as i search for master's program okay i told my wife i was like look when our uh, you know daycare is a second mortgage right but he's in <laughs> He's in pre-K right now, and, and pre-K is half of his daycare, but there's still a financial component to it. Absolutely. But when he wanders off into the wild blue yonder of kindergarten land and there's no financial contribution to it beyond, like, the PTO shit or whatever, um, uh, I told my wife, I'm like, hey, I would really like to go back to school. I'll do it online. Uh, I don't have time to go to a campus. Online, right. You know, um, but I want to get a master's degree. And I have decided on how I'm getting a master's in public administration. I haven't found the school that I want to go through, but that's the degree program gotcha. that I'm looking at. I did NAU. Okay. So I went to Chandler Gilbert right after that. Right after I left law enforcement, I went to Chandler Gilbert Community College. Got my, I was actually pre-nursing. So I was pre-nursing. I did all the prereqs and co-recs and all that good stuff. And I was going to go into the nursing program, but the, the time frame didn't work out because my funding for the GI Bill ran out. So I had to switch. Gotcha. Would have ran out because there was a two and a half year wait list for nursing. So that's when I just switched over to something else and I got public administration. So I recommend NAU is actually a very good program. Well, I'll have to look into NAU yeah. then. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, one of my partners, she sits right across from me in, in our little cubicle area. Uh, she's an NAU graduate. So uh, I, I went to ASU, right? But I, I don't subscribe to the whole, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of boring. I don't really subscribe to the, the school rivalries that much. It's right, just never been right. something that piqued my interest. So Are you a hometown boy? Yeah. Yes and no. So I was born in Southern California. Um, we're done and <laughs> we're done. Turn, it turn everything off. We're we're just, just close it up. Uh, when I was four or five, my dad moved the family out here. Um, so I was for all intents and purposes, as far back as I can remember, raised, yeah, gotcha. you know, raised in Arizona. Gotcha. 
I'm a native, so okay. My wife does the same thing. Well, I was like, no, you're not a native. No, 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 no. I don't count myself as a native. I mean, <laughs> I, I where were you born? I was born in Fullerton, California. Gotcha. So, uh, but my sister's a college professor out in California, and she's the one who's like, well, be careful with this degree program because you'll pigeonhole yourself for this. But uh, I don't know something like public administration. Uh, I do. I do try to keep my sister, she's my older sister, so I do try to keep her somewhat proud of me. So picking a higher level degree program might be. And emergency management too. Okay. They yeah, do yeah. emergency yeah. management. <clears throat> the crossover from public administration to emergency management is very, very easy. Well, and looking down the line, I mean, I, and it, this is probably going to sound wildly self-serving, but eventually I will retire from law enforcement, right? <laughs> You're allowed. And I am allowed to. Um, and it's it's like 18 and a half years from now, but that's who's counting, right? Oh, you're at the 25-year plan, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, tier two, mm. 25 years, man. Mm. Let it roll. Um, but maybe Post, right, AZ Post and PSPRS, maybe will do something with the pension system. We, we hear rumors and mumblings and you're shaking your head. i got nothing good to say about the psprs that's all i'll say about that we are always hearing mumblings of as and i i, I don't know if it's a generational difference or not uh, i am ignorant in that but one day it'll be people like me going into post or going right. into psprs and what can we do for officers at that point in time and that's probably the way we should look at it and again we come back to something like cannabis use Okay, so you smoked weed a year ago, and you've stopped now because you recognize that it's, whether you agree with it or not, you've recognized that police departments in Arizona don't um, allow for, there's policies against cannabis well, well, use. You're right, right. They just, um, they just have a policy, which I'd they love just, to shove up their asses sure. and explain to them the reason why they're wrong, but Sure, I'm they, not that big They yet. just have a policy in place. <laughs> Well, if if post and for those outside of law enforcement, every every state got has its version of post um, peace officer standards and training. Right. Um, Texas, I think, calls it T. Cole. Uh, I think California is still called post. But every every state has something, some governing body. overriding authority, overriding yes. authority. Right. Um, and as far as policies written, I think it's like LexisNexis, one, like one agents or one company. Uh, does a lot of policy writing mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. police departments, especially mm -hmm. as you're uh, like a new police department. Right. Um, you know, you've separated from the sheriff's department or a state agency, whatever the case may be. Um, but it's eventually going to be my generation that goes into those roles. And so I, I, I come back to, I tried to get a guy on who I was, I'm still extremely friend, close friends with. I'm going to his wedding tonight. Um, and he was an army ranger, uh, ranger sniper team leader, deployed to Afghanistan five or six times. But because he had tried a narcotic in high school once he got shit canned by every police department that he applied for. But if he was 32 years old and on the police department and fell down and injured his back, he'd be handed a handful of Vicodin, Percocet, possibly oxycodone and said, have a nice day. Yeah. Go, go back to work, you know, just use it responsibly. Right. But we won't let people use a natural plant-based medicine at the end of the day, right. which that's, this is my soapbox when I, realize the psychological impacts of using cannabis responsibly. Everything I always go back to is about using responsibly. Absolutely. And, and you can drink your face off every single night too. And that's a conversation I just had with one of my teammates, uh, maybe like three weeks ago. And again, we're getting into the realm of this is an opinion and opinion only. Um, but he and I sit there and we were talking like, okay, so and I've never smoked weed, so okay. I, I don't I don't know when people are like, oh, do you, well, do you want to? No, no, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I, I do like my job. Um, uh, I, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you, you got me on that one. <laughs> um, 
But I can go home every night after my shift and get absolutely shit faced. Yep. And drink my troubles away and get to the point where, man, I can't sleep unless I have a cocktail before bed um, or, or a glass of whiskey or whatever the case. And I enjoy bourbon, right? But on a much, a very recreational level. Right. right. Um, as it should be. As it should be, drinking responsibly, right? <sighs> uh, and, and full disclosure, like I was, I'm not going to say I was an alcoholic. I didn't go to AA, but I absolutely depended on alcohol use to get me through my days. And now I don't even touch the stuff. Right. Not because I'm sober. I'm California sober. I just smoke weed. But it's <laughs> it's just simply because it ruined my life and I didn't realize it. Right. But anyways. Well, and I can think back to 2020 as a patrol officer. Um, the way that, the way that again, right, wrong, or indifferent, the way that a lot of us looked at it uh, with the realm of public perception of law enforcement is, hey, that fucker isn't me, right? That guy in Minneapolis, I don't wear that uniform. Right. Uh, I go back to a conversation I had with a guy out front of like a Motel 6 or a, I can't remember what small motel chain it was. Um, and he's sitting there and he's motherfucking police up, down, left, right, and center. And it's just him and I. Like, I've got no backup officers coming. And you really learn that verbal judo. Welcome to being a trooper. Welcome to being a trooper. Um, funny enough, a couple times, the only backup I ever got was the dude who was getting off the freeway because he ended his shift at 1030. And he'd be like, Oh, that's Kevin. I should stop and help him. Uh, I still talk to that guy on occasion. Super cool trooper. Um, But I remember looking at this dude and being like, hey, man, where are you from? He goes, I'm from Detroit. Okay. And so when you talk about cops being assholes, and no shame towards Detroit PD. I don't know anybody at Detroit PD. But I'm like, you've only ever encountered cops like in that area, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, was it probably like the same couple guys? It was always the same dudes hassling me. Like, cool, man. I've never worked for that agency. I've never met you. This is our first interaction. And what I will say is that, again, not necessarily a negative thing, but East Coast cops and West Coast cops, there is a vast cultural difference. Very different. Um, very, very different. That That is somewhat difficult to explain. It's like one of those things, you know it when you see it, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and just in talking with this guy, he it like de-escalated. And it was, he, he actually looked at me and was like, all right, yeah, you you cool. Like, all right, cool, man. Let's just talk this through. Yeah. So, but in 2020, <coughs> it started to get to that point where I was the like, well, I'm not that guy, and I shouldn't be getting treated like this, and we shouldn't be getting treated like this. Like, we're pulling out of the gate every day, waiting for a Molotov to get thrown through right. a Tahoe window, and it it does weigh on you, and a lot of it's self imposed, right? I mean, the protests in my part of town, there was never a riot. The protesters all stayed on the sidewalk. So that they weren't blocking a public thoroughfare in accordance with statute. Right. Right. Like, right. Like, it was pretty, all things considered, fairly easy. But in the moment, you're like, holy shit, these dudes are going to parade me through the streets. Cops are trained at a level of everything is the worst case scenario. Yes. So you just, and that translates over to your home life. So you're just constantly expecting yeah. the worst. Always, 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 always. Even if you've brought that situation down, you're always thinking that half a step ahead of, could this go bad? What's going to go right. wrong? You know, when's that Molotov cocktail going to get thrown? Right. Which well, that eats on the cop psyche as well. Absolutely. Because I sit there and I go, I've got a new baby at home. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it was my son was born in twenty nine, the end of 2019. So I'm like, I've got a new kid at home. Am I going to orphan my son? Uh, what is going to happen to my wife? Uh, and there were some other issues. Like, like I told you, my wife and I have never voted the same. It's that whole opposite the track thing again. <laughs> again, she uh, uh, she lets me uh, she lets me pinch her butt and she kisses really well. So um, uh, and she loves me unconditionally. That, uh, that's the other part too. Yeah. But even in the protests, she and I didn't agree about everything that was going on. 
you know, her, her stance was very much the, well, they've got a right to be angry and riot. My stance was they've got a right to be angry, but let's not burn the Scottsdale mall to the ground right. as a result. That's might be taking that one a little bit too far. Um, but again, at the beginning of the episode, I was talking about, it'd be rude of me to say, I understand because I, I don't, I've never been in their shoes, but I would go home every night, dude, AJ, if I didn't have a glass of whiskey, I sat there, I drank a glass of whiskey, and not like I wouldn't fill the damn thing at the top, right? right. I put mostly ice in it, to be honest with you, you know, two fingers of whiskey, but I'd sit there and I'd read a book. I'm like, this isn't entrance to alcoholism. I'm distinguished. <laughs> I'm reading a chapter book. But it's like my buddy and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago. You can go home and get absolutely shithouse drunk every night just to help you get through the day. Yep. But God forbid if you you smoke weed, have a, a gummy, whatever the case may be. And again, my ignorance showing itself, right? Cause I've never, you're doing good. That you're realm. doing good. <laughs> um, but you talk to cops who are retiring and where's the first thing that they're doing. Oh yeah. I've already, I'm, I already talked to someone. So I'm going to go pick up some gummies and you're like, okay, cool. And it's because yeah, my back hurts after 30 years of wearing a gun belt. Right. Right. It's, uh, I have all this pent up stress. One of, one of my things that frustrates the shit. I mean, the statistic that I hate the most is that we die at 55 years old. Yeah. So yeah. as police officers, our life expectancy is about 20 years shy of the national average. How do we problem solution, right? Yep. Solution oriented. I sit there and I go, how do we combat this? And I don't know that you need to get high every night to fix that, right? Or But if you can have a gummy and avoid opiates, or if you can have a, if you have a, a, a fucking CBD gummy bear right. and that's what makes you happy, and you don't need to drown your cell or your sorrows in a bottle of Jack Daniels, uh, then okay. That's a better alternative. That's a better alternative, I think. The the one thing, and I've told the story before, pardon, stop me if you've heard this before, but when I, I started, I smoked when I was in high school, had my back injury because I'm, I'm, uh, I had my back, original back injury in 2017, okay. which also helped my, my mental health downfall and using alcohol to help with the pain. But when I discovered cannabis and then I had my surgery and then I was using cannabis after post my first surgery um, and I found this one particular strain and I was just using it for pain management. I was, you know, just using a little bit at night and it was just kind of diving into it. And one of the things that messed me up was I was the investigating detective of Officer Darren Reed up in Sholo, his shooting. The whole thing was just tragic from the get go, and and I've I've been open about it before. Like, why did that particular event mess me up? I can't say. I don't know why that was the catalyst. I was not involved in the shooting. I was involved in the post investigation with his body and everything. So when I started using cannabis, and then I, again responsibly and all that, I had a moment where I was in my kitchen, and again I've told this before, so I apologize for people who heard this before, where it was actually connecting me to my emotions, but then it was a it was allowing me to disassociate from the event. And it allowed me to go through that event and that day step by step by step by step by step and just kind of process everything. And so now when I'm using cannabis, yes, I use it for my back pain. Um, when I'm using it for the mental aspects, I do it with intention and purpose. Like I want to focus on this. I want to look at that. Yeah, I could sit around all day long, smoke weed, play video games and not do anything. That's not productive. And I have a family. But when using it with intention and purpose and understanding its biological effects, its chemical effects, and also here's the thing too, we have what's called an endocannabinoid system. We create the exact same identical chemical compounds in our bodies that the cannabis plant has. So that's where I, I go back to what well, was given to us by God and it actually, that's why nobody can overdose from it. You know, dopamine receptors are on your brainstem where you where you breathe and, you know, on all that, where you don't have the same sort of neurological or uh, physiological systems inside the human body that you're not going to stop breathing. 
you know, you're going to, you're going to get a really good night's sleep. Right. But I have been in contact with officers in New Jersey because there's a big stink going on in New Jersey to where their, their law enforcement, some are not testing for THC. And I've had contact with officers out in New Jersey who have said like, AJ, my drinking has gone down. I'm getting a good night's sleep. And again, used with intention and purpose and leading a better life. It's like, why would you not want that? And this is where it's like, God, I don't, I don't know how to break through this research to post. I don't know how to get them to understand. I don't know how to get that old school mentality gone. Right. It, ju- it just is like, stop and ask yourself, like, you know, a 30 year guy, stop and ask yourself, like, was cannabis ever really the reason for crime X, Y, Z? Yes. There have been very tragedies that have happened, especially about drug dealers, especially particularly with an officer years ago who's with mm-hmm. your agency. Yep. So, but it was the criminal act. It wasn't the cannabis. Right. So this is where I get on my high horse and talk about weed because I, I fell in love with the weed community. And I will say that cannabis saved my life. Saved my life. Got me off of alcohol. Helps with my pain. Like, I got nothing bad to say about it anymore. Well, and I, and I think these, like, state governing bodies look at it as what you said, the whole I'm going to smoke weed, play video games, and eat pizza, and just right. be lazy all day wrong. And they, they may look at it as an addiction. Um, and... and though they would be blind to the beneficial aspects of it. But find me a fucking cop who's not addicted to something. Amen. Right. Amen. Doesn't matter whether it's porn, sugar, caffeine, food, or alcohol. Right. Uh, Yesterday, I woke up like right in the middle. And you you get woken up right in the middle of a dream and you're in the middle of REM sleep. And that is, you are just fucking exhausted all day. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I had three three coffees and an energy drink yesterday. Uh, I have those little caffeine dip pouches, right? I don't, okay. I don't dip tobacco. I dip just straight caffeine into the bloodstream, right? So <laughs> that's like, not healthy. That's no, not no, good. not healthy, right? And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm still tired, but my heart's beating a lot faster. So I, I can hear myself I can, blink. Yeah, I could. Oh well, maybe I'll type this report that much faster. But like, talk to cops who work out every day for hours on it's end. An addiction. And if you take that away from them for two days, it's like they get withdrawals. Yep. The way that they feel is probably similar to. The way the the heroin addict that you pull off the street feels when he doesn't get his heroin, right? Or, yeah, your cops who are addicted to sex, and then they don't get enough in their relationship, yep. and they go outside their relationship. The cops who are addicted to porn, because, again, maybe what's happening in their relationship isn't quite enough. Yep. Um, the cops who are addicted to, uh, I mean, hell, I, like video games. I don't know that you, a lot of people consider that to be an addiction, but sometimes it's nice to just, you know, the sole reason that I go in and play some video games is to disassociate. Mm-hmm. Is to just get out of reality mm-hmm. for a little while. Was that an addiction? Uh, yeah, I think it kind of might be. If, especially, or, well, you can let it get to the point of yes. an addiction, right? Yes. So, it's, it's not the drug. Whatever the drug is, all of the things you just explained, it's the relationship with the drug. Right. I can go right now. You and I could crack open a bourbon, drink a bourbon, which I wish I, yeah, I didn't know if you had to work today. I could have totally no, no, I, didn't have to, I do have to go get my kid <laughs> later. Okay. So. Yeah, same here, same here. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, no, it's... You can moderate and you mm-hmm. can use things responsibly and it's just the relationship with the, with the, whatever the drug is. Right. You know, it's just, it's addiction is addiction is addiction. And if we can solve those addictions, again, we're going to have better outcomes for cops. We're going to have better outcomes for the public. We're going to have better outcomes for the, for the department itself, you know, not wasted tax money in, in frivolous lawsuits or not even frivolous, but just lawsuits that happen right. from bad interactions with the cops. Well, and, and what I will say <laughs> as a, and I, I know in, in the grand scheme of things, I am a newer cop, though I may not always consider myself to be a newer cop. Uh, the fucking job is its own addiction. 
Amen. Right. You're 100% correct in that. And I think it depends on on where you work and um but it's it's your relationship with the job. When you're when you've got a fire patrol team and your your guys are firing on all cylinders, which luckily my last two patrol teams that's how it was, right? Um where uh was 2019-2020, uh, my last two patrol teams and it was the greatest the greatest fun I've ever had in my entire life. And I'll still like I did a transport the other day. Um and our detective cars don't have cages, so I had to, you know, threw my vest on, grab a patrol car, and I'm sitting in the patrol car driving back, and I'm like, God, I fucking miss this. Yeah, I and, get it. And my wife sits there and is like, Are you are you insane? Like if I if I wasn't going into recruiting, I was gonna shift bid this year and go back to the road. And she's sitting there, why? Like, because I kind of miss the work. Like I looking back on it, yeah, I had my moments in patrol. Especially in 2020. In 2020, I think I recognized that it was a good time for me to get out of patrol and go in to do something different. It's again, it's that three to five years do something different. Um, but now I sit here and I go, well, let's see. I mean, I worked my 40. My work cell phone stayed in my locker. I didn't have to take it home with me. My whole team could get together on a weekend day, right? Whereas if my team now, as, uh, as detectives, if we try to get together, one of us is on call. Right, right. One of us is... Not really having fun because we've gotten this back of our mind, like, oh, God, what is going to happen? I'm going to go. I'm going to get called out. And then the rest of us are sitting there like, sorry, dude, we've all had three cocktails and you're kind of by yourself right now. <laughs> um, but I, I've tried to explain it to my wife in the sense of like it's policing is is like having an addiction and a mistress all at the same time. Mm. And that may not be that way for everybody. And, I, and again, I think that's maybe the young cop mentality. Well, of, I was going to say that it's definitely a young cop mentality. You are you are the fucking G.I. Joe. You're the guy in the cartoons and the movies growing up. And you're like, oh, this is me now. I'm that I'm that guy. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm cool like that guy. I'm doing the job I've always dreamed about doing. How many times have you been at a party it. and they just want to hear your stories? Oh, God. And, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. One of our one of our detectives uh, works cold cases. Um in addition to her other jobs, that's what she's become very, very good at. And she was at a dinner somewhere. And if she didn't tell you she was a cop, you wouldn't probably think she was a police officer, right? Um, and then somebody at, at their little table or whatever, you know, the round table of like eight people that you, you get these conference dinners right. or whatever. And it wasn't related to policing at all. But somebody was like, hey, what do you do for work? She's like, oh, I'm a... Uh, I'm a detective. I do cold case investigations. And the entire table, it turned into like this 60-minute session of like, well, what about this? Right. Well, tell us about that. And you're like, I, I just did this for an entire work week. I don't really want to talk about it. I was like, and, and the public is fascinated. Though. Exactly. I was going to say, can you fault them no. for it? Right. My no. One of my wife's friends, um, she and her husband uh, uh, brought their daughter over. Uh, oh, it was probably like last year. And um, our kids were playing together. And. Uh, my wife and her friend were catching up and her husband was like, so how's work been, man? I'm like, oh, you know, it's OK. Like you just try to min try to minimize it. Right. And last year I had an investigation that extended into the early part of this year. Um, and it's one of those like for whatever reason, I just like it just frustrated the shit out of me, this particular investigation, because it was like everything I did. This dude was like trying to catch a fish, right? It was just like, no, 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 no. Um, ended up getting him in handcuffs. Eventually it took six months, but we got there in the end. Um, but uh He's like, uh, no, really, like, how's work? Um, I finally look at him like, do you want the long answer or the short answer? He's like, oh, what's the short answer? Like, I just gave you the short yeah, answer. Works yeah, fine. Yeah. He's like, what's the long answer? Do you really want to know? Like, I investigate child crimes, bro. Do you really want to know how work is? Oh, uh, 
no, I guess not. Anyways, <laughs> and you're like, and again, I can't fault you for asking because right. it's it's outside the norm. Like I said, less than one percent of the population can even be a police officer. So when you find those police officers, it's like, oh, hey, I saw this on live TV. My favorite one is, uh, do you know my uncle in Bangor who's a police officer? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Frank, we went to the academy <laughs> together. How's he do? And, you know, like, and it's hard not to be an asshole about right. it, but you're like, uh, it's like if I, if I went to somebody in the Air Force and was like, hey, do you know this person? Of course. You know, there's like 400,000 of us, right? <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> but the public, I mean, even to this day and age with the criticism and the the negativity, they're still fascinated. Yeah. They're still tuning in. They still want to know. And that's where I think it's incumbent upon law enforcement agencies themselves to really step up and, and show the good, but also be very, very transparent about the bad. Yeah. You we, know, I think that's crucial to to trust with the public. We demand accountability from each other. It's, it is hammered into you week one, day one of the academy. I absolutely understand our citizens demanding accountability from us. I think it's also very important for a population to be, I, I don't have a problem with civilian, well, I shouldn't say civilian re review boards. I don't have a problem with public oversight to an extent. You're never going to explain why did this, you know, the uh, use of force being, you know, what would a reasonable officer right. do? Not a reasonable person. Reasonable people don't actually like chase and try to apprehend people on a daily basis, but officers do. Right. But I do think they're having some sort of a civilian oversight to some degree. I don't really, you know, I'm just kind of talking on the fly here is good so that you do have a completely outside perspective to maybe take a look at things and review things and not to be heavy handed and be like, oh, cops shouldn't be doing that. Right. It's like, but to have some sort of an ounce, you need an outside in view sometimes, you know, like, why do you go to therapy? So somebody else can take a look at what you're dealing with and give you some feedback on it. I do believe in the, the public as a whole needs to be significantly more involved with their politics, with their law enforcement, you know, with fire departments, with public, with public taxes, with public goods and public services and all that. Well, you come back to, uh, uh, I mean, at least my, where I work in all of our police stations. And, uh, I, I would hope that it's fairly common. You see the Robert Peel's principles put up on, and I, I can't remember if it's the very last bulletin point on Peel's principles or not, uh, but the people are the police and the police are the people, right? We are we are not the military, right? Right. When when somebody refers to and, and I catch myself doing all the time, but you're like, oh, sworn versus civilian. We're all civilian, right? We are not the military. There's no posse comitatus, like not allowing us to take action within our community on, on U.S. soil. That is our job. We are civilian law enforcement officers. That is what we do, right? I, I say that law enforcement specifically has the most important job in society, especially American society where we have inalienable rights given to us by God. The only person that can strip another human being from those rights is a law enforcement officer. Yep. And the only ones that are going to be actually stripping people of their freedom to move, freedom to talk and everything. Yeah. It's I, a big responsibility. I had a patrol sergeant who used to remind us that, Hey, cause we'd sit there and, and again, as fairly new officers at the time, you know, even newer than I am now, um, new officers will doubt themselves a lot. Of course. Right. And find me a job, right? Go into any job. And after some time, you, you may think you know everything and then something happens and you're like, oh, maybe I'm not as good about this as I thought I was. But the, but the sergeant used to put it very simply. You've been given a gun, a badge, and the authority to take away somebody's rights and their life if need be. So that's a pretty serious thing to be entrusted with. Don't break that trust. Right. And you sit there and go, Oh, okay. And then my, my like sort of addition throughout my time, I, I, I picked this up as my sort of adage. Um, 
when I was in college. When I was in college, I was working towards being a police officer, but I wasn't being a police officer. But it's that you cannot build relationships from behind a windshield. Right. right? And, and I don't mean that in the strictest sense of like, well, I'm a trooper. I don't have the opportunity to get out. No, it's that especially if you work a beat, right? Like what made me a successful beat officer to the point where I could roll through a neighborhood or some of the apartment complexes and people knew me by name because I, yeah, I made, I may not do a foot patrol, but I drive around with my windows open. Yeah. My windows roll down my radio, not my car, like the dispatch radio on, but my music radio turned off sitting there talking to people. Hey, yeah. how's it going? Hey, how's things? And jump out every now and then say hi to people. Be personable. This is the conversation where I have with a friend of mine who is, you might know her. Um, she's a gang detective sergeant with the state. Okay. And um, she tells me, she's like, you know, the gang detectives, the gang officers, where are your gangs? Your gangs are in the city. Your gangs are in the worst parts of the town. Yep. Yes, there are pockets all over the place, but they're centralized and, you know, the worst parts of the of the of the city, and she's told me, you know, and I because I I, I I I get the pulse of the department through other people now, sure, obviously, and I'm like, how's things going? And she says, you know, when, and this was specifically during 2020, 2021 with the defunding. I asked her specifically about how is the defending thing. She's like, she goes, we go into whatever neighborhood, stop in a 7-Eleven, and people walk up to us and go, thank God. Like, we love seeing you guys. The older members of the community that are mm -hmm. tired of the bullshit and tired yep. of the crap and tired of the youngins, you know running amok and gangbangers doing gangbanger shit, you know, and they, the public does want it. Like I said, they're still fascinated by law enforcement. They still, there's still a hell of a lot more support than people think there really is. Oh, absolutely. It's just the news media that's poisoning everything. Yes. Yeah. Hands down. And again, when, as I talk to new officers, I get it a lot with laterals uh, as lateral officers come through and, and we're an agency that they're looking at. What's the community interaction like? Mm -hmm. And I, again, come back to, as I said at the beginning, that, hey, 80, 90% of our community truly does love us, and they, and they really do support us, right? They they come out. Uh, they God forbid when one of us dies, right? Uh, my agency in 2020, um, we had a hell of a fucking year, man, um, and into uh, into 21 um, when one of our officers was killed. And our citizens still lined the streets yeah. to watch the funeral procession. And they weren't doing that with ACAB or defund science. They were out there with fucking American flags, no. right? And, you know, the hands over their hearts, taking their hats off and whatnot. Very powerful to to see that. You don't get that everywhere no. by any means. But I, I, again, attribute it to officers who understand the whole thing that you can't build a relationship behind a windshield. You need to get the fuck out of your car and engage with your community in a positive light. Your community's interaction with police shouldn't solely be watching them take somebody away in handcuffs. Agreed. Right? You see a kid with a lemonade stand? Yeah, you've got a you've got your laptop there. Put a CAD message out. Hey, at, you know, main and third, kid with a lemonade stand, dollar a piece or whatever. And a bunch of cops will roll over there, especially no. those of us, right? We we remember running little lemonade stands <laughs> when we were kids, right? Like, hey buddy, uh, here's two bucks, keep the change, or hey, I'm gonna pay for my team, they're coming over. And you sit there. It's a powerful moment for that Amen. child. You get talking to their parents, right? Whereas, I mean, in some agent, there some areas of the United States, it's like, oh god, is this cop coming over here because my kid doesn't have a license to be operating right. a business? Right. That and shit's happened. That shit happens, right? And in my community, thank God, it's like, oh hey guys, we got lemonade. And you're like, all right, cool, yeah, I'm gonna. Hey, I just messaged the whole team. Let me hop out. It's a community contact. It's a positive yes. community contact. Yes. One of the things that I think departments are, and it even goes down to us sitting here right now. I think the one of the, I do take issue with the fact that, that when it comes to the first amendment and officers freedom of speech, I've had, I've asked officers, will you come on? No, I can't. 
I got to talk to my department. It's like, well, no, actually you don't. You're an American citizen and you can utilize your First Amendment rights. But I think departments do a lot of disservice to the community and to their officers when they stifle them and when they prevent them from speaking. Sure. You know, just don't say anything bad about the department. And, and you know, you're not here as a representative of your department. You're right. here as a representative, as a United States citizen and can say what the fuck you want. Well, and that's when to I, an extent. To, to an extent. extent. <laughs> when I was starting my podcast, I uh, our chief wasn't in office, so I poked my head into our assistant chief's office and I was like, hey, boss, I got to run this by you. Been doing this podcast for a couple months now. It's growing. I'm starting to interview people. Is that okay? And he was he sat there and he was like, "Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can prevent you from doing that. Not that we would want to." He was like, "Well, you just said he's like, uh, don't be stupid, right?" And then he texted me an hour later. He's like, "Hey, I got somebody you need to bring on your show." I'm like, "Well, shit, thanks, Chief. I appreciate that. Like, it, awesome. you know, it, it worked out." And again, I mean, like, I don't. I've set that rule for myself to keep to keep the the upstairs offices happy, right? As it were, with the with the the chiefs, and that we don't I don't talk about the agency. Um, it's a it's a privacy thing. We've had our guys, right. a couple of our guys, get doxxed or get get outed. Um, oh, it's this person works for this agency, uh, and I just I just try to keep it as as low key as I can. I know eventually it's all going to have to come out. Or I mean, and there are people that have messaged me that like, hey, what's what's it like working in X Y Z city? And you're like, how the hell? Do you, and you're like, one guy was like, yeah, you're not as secret as you think you are. I'm like, oh, okay, good to know. Um, but again, it it is still that basic American right. I won't say basic human right, though it should be. It is that basic American right, right? That's, that's why it's number one. Amen. It's, it's free speech. Like, And again, yeah, you'll find officers at my agency that complain for the sake of complaining. Right. God knows I've had plenty of things to complain about. But by and large, like where I work is a pretty good spot, man. And uh, there's if if I said the name of the agency, it would be nothing short of high regard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a lot of loyalty to that place. I again, I wanted to be a cop since I was eight years old, yeah. and they gave me the opportunity to do that. And so I don't plan on doing anything that's a disservice to them. But I can absolutely see you get some people in command positions. Um, or, or at a government level outside of the police department who are like, hey, yep. no, 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 you're representative 100% of the time, 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. And we come back to what you just said, AJ. No, I'm a fucking American citizen. Right. We're allowed to have our, our opinions, right? If you want to, to chastise me or discipline me for having an opinion and speaking about it, you know who else does that? Oh, let's see, the North Koreans. Hey, amen. Right, right. Uh, communist China, uh, people that try to escape places uh, like... Cuba mm-hmm. or uh, or Venezuela, where the government will absolutely hunt you down and make you fucking disappear yep. into the ether because of things that you said. That's what, again, these are the same people who will probably sit there and tell you that America is the greatest country on earth. And in some respects, I absolutely agree with that. I am pretty fucking happy whenever I travel outside of the country and come back to the United States. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> right. But um, but they're in. Hey. Let your officers talk. Yeah. Your best recruiter, again, I come back to Amen. recruiting pool versus recruiting puddle. The sergeant I'm going to work for says it best. Yes, we have, yes, Kevin, the recruiting officer, that is your future job, and uh, hopefully starting in about January, if I'm lucky. Uh, but the best recruiters for any agency are the people that work for that agency. Absolutely. Provided Absolutely. the agency has given them good cause to be a good recruiter, yep. right? Treat your guys like shit, and they're gonna, that's what's going to come out. Treat your people well. And that's what's going to come out. So, I think that's a wonderful place to end. Absolutely, I do. You, I, I do. I know something that you do, so I'm going to ask you: What books are you reading right now? Oh, 
Um, uh, yeah, so I, I never answer this question on my own show. Uh, so I'm reading. Uh, See, I listen to your podcast. You do listen to the podcast. <laughs> so I'm reading Helmet for My Pillow by Bob Leckie, uh, which is one of the books used as the source material for the show The Pacific. Okay. Um, I, I've always loved the way that um, uh, Tom Hanks, and I forget the other guy's name, but they the way that they portray uh, their, their cinematography and just the yeah. work that they put into Band of Brothers The Pacific. Mm, There's mm-hmm. a new one. Um, it's going to be called like the Mighty Eighth or something. It's coming out in January or February, all about the Eighth Air Force over Europe. But in rewatching the Pacific, um, I was like, "Oh, I should. <laughs> I, I have a. I have one of those books, and I should probably dive back into it and read it. And the the prose in which Bob Lecky writes, because he was a reporter, it's it's amazing to read a war memoir written so eloquently. Okay. Um, and then I'm also reading. Um, uh, the bomber mafia. I'm a huge world war two history. Gotcha. Nerd. Uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad was with the British army in world war two. He died before I was born. And I think that the reason I'm such a fucking nerd for world war two history is because I never knew him and he never talked to my dad about the war. Um, we didn't know where he'd served until one day my grandmother, uh, had gotten his war records and it took her a considerable amount of time to get them. Um, uh, through no fault of her own and not necessarily any any fault of the British government, but um, it just it took a while for everything to get accrued. And then I'm going through this, and because I'm such a nerd, I'm like, yeah, the reason he didn't talk about it is because he was in North Africa. Like, he was at Monte Cassino. Mm. And, uh, like, thousands of Allied soldiers died in these places, and they were some hellish combat. And he didn't my, want to talk about and it. And my grandfather was a machine gunner. He carried a, a Bren light machine, like a squad infantry, like a, a squad-based uh, machine gun. I'm like, there's good reason pop that that dad you know grandpa didn't want to talk about this but uh the bomber mafia is just written about um uh the bombing operations between the uh, european theater of operations and the pacific um so those are the two uh that i'm reading right now and then i've got one lined up um i've always wanted to write a book myself okay uh so i have started um but not i haven't put a ton of time into it i know i need to uh but i started a book uh let's say like uh murder espionage thriller okay. set, set in wartime London. And my aunt's a published author and nice. she sent me a bunch of source material to include. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it, it's sitting right next to my damn bed. Um, <laughs> but it's the memoirs of a, um, uh, like a pathologist secretary during world war two in London. Because Interesting people. There was still a, a huge amount of crime taking place. In London, World okay. War II, to include murder. Okay. Uh, my grandmother would tell me stories about people who would forge, like their ration cards, because you only got so much butter right, and so right. much sugar and whatnot. And forging ration cards was like people would be killed over that. Wow. That was, that was like big criminal business back then because you got all the extra shit. Right. If you had the ration cards, you can go get more stuff. So uh, it's those two right now. Um, uh, the. Oh, hang on, I got a sticker on here somewhere. The Interceptors, Matt Thomas. Oh yeah, book. Matt Thomas. Uh, I haven't started that yet. He was on the show uh, a few weeks back. He's been on a couple times. What a good dude. Oh yeah. What a f- f- he is the reason I have access to Pinal County. He yes. is th- he is the reason. Like I met him through a friend of a friend, and I said, "Here's what I'm doing." It took like a year to get him on, and he came on, and it's just been. He, he's an amazing dude. He's yeah. the entire reason I got Frank on. I just sent Matt a message like, hey, what about Frank? He's like, yeah, sure. And he's all, like, you could send a guy a text and he'll answer. Exactly. You know? Um, and I, the first time he was on my show, he was like, yeah, like Sheriff Lamb wants me to write a book and I don't know. And now he's sitting here with a book out yeah. and I've got a copy of it and he signed it. So super cool. I'm, I'm working on getting Sheriff Lamb. 
I'm wor- I'm working on him. I've texted him a few times, and uh, I I think it's I I got to imagine he's really busy. So I know when uh, when you get him on, though, put in a good word <laughs> I and, will. and just send him north, and I'll uh, I'll interview him nice. as well, man. So, so I'm reading uh, Endure by Cam Haynes. Okay, Cam yeah. Haynes. I'm on that. You know, Jocko, Cam Haynes, right. Joe Rogan. Right. You know that that train as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, I've read Jocko's books. I did one of them as an audio book, and then I was like, fuck, I got to get the actual book. Um, I do, I do like audiobooks for drive time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that there's, you miss some of it. Uh, of course. Uh, I'm listening to um, Atlas Shrugged by by Ayn Rand because I know that it's as far as American literature is concerned, it is like one of the premier books um, in in the history of American literature. But I know I'm doing myself a disservice by listening to it. Um, uh, I, I listened to a book that was more of a technical manual on the SR 71 Blackbird. And I don't know how the fuck I found that, but like that I'm okay listening to in the middle of, uh, like as I get ready for bed and nodding off to sleep. To right, it. right. 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 Uh, but Atlas shrugged. I try to only listen to that when I'm awake because it's the book itself, I think is like a thousand pages or something Ooh. like that. So it's this war the, the audio book is 64 hours. And so I sit there and I'm like, Oh God, I, what have I got myself into? And if it reads like a technical manual, it's, a little bit difficult. Uh, Atlas Shrugged isn't a oh, technical manual. That. That's that is a, a, a fiction and literature and talks about like oh, gotcha, capitalism gotcha. and and uh, uh, American history with the railroads and whatnot. So, but the the technical manual, the SR seventy one. I don't plan on flying one of those, so I could just nod off to that one. You know, <laughs> well, leave us with some wise words of wisdom. Oh, again, this is a question I always ask somebody else, and I'm never the one, uh, never the one on the spot. The go to answer, at least that I get from guests on my show, is to to be a good person. Um, and I don't know that there's much more to say than that, but what I will say is no matter what you do in life, um, don't be lazy, do it to the best of your ability and don't shy away from teaching the people who want to do your job. Uh, as, as I've said, as far as police officers go, uh, agencies should look at us as their best recruiters, but you also have only so many Academy staff and you have only so many field training officers. Um, I think we can do a disservice to our, our new police officers um, or, or I mean, insert career field here. If you put your new people in an environment where it's just salty 24 seven, right? Whereas if you put them in an environment with people who love their work, then you are going to cultivate success from the very beginning of their career. And that is how, that's how you keep the, the wheels of progress, right? That's how you, you keep the motion going. Um, to those of you listening who are police officers, uh, we have spent so much time in the history of law enforcement away from our families. Um, there's this statistic that's out now that millennials like me, we spend something like 73% more of our time with our kids than our parents did with us. Good. Um, and and no uh, ill speaking towards my dad. My dad ran a business right, out of right, two states. Right. He was a busy, busy right. dude, right? And he only just recently retired at almost 70 years old. Um, but... We sit there and it's it's easy to get lost in the, okay, uh, I know I need to make money to support my family. I want to spend more time with my family, but I need to spend less time with my family to spend more time at work to make money for my family. Take Try and take a couple hours, at least, at least a couple hours a week and just sit down for yourself. Collect your thoughts. Uh, I started journaling this year. Okay. I, never, I never gave it much thought. Um, dude, there are things that if I can't tell my wife... I can go and write it down, right? Because the journal doesn't care. The journal has no emotions. The journal is not going to get any secondary trauma exposure. Um, but I can at least, it's like a, it's like Dumbledore in the pensive, right? And, and Harry Potter, I can get all those negative thoughts up here. 
and get them uh, uh, get them written down onto paper and, and at least then I they're not taking up space up top. Good. Right. So take care of yourselves. Be good people. I wish I had some some profound statement to make, man. <laughs> but honestly, uh, I, I come back to simple is sometimes best. Amen. So well, thank that's you, sir. Where we're at. Thank you, man. I appreciate your time. Appreciate it.